that would be slightly wrong. I think. Mm, true. Okay. Are we ready? Mm. Do you want to bring it in again? I'm ready for it. Confused people. Did actually? Well, it confused me. I've not released that episode yet. <laughs> right. Well, because of that. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> what, I'm the, what show is this? I'm not proof listen to it. And, right. uh, it's one of the rare episodes that I've not had to do a little bit of tweaking to. Oh, okay. Uh, but you bring it in was like, what fresh hell is this? Fair enough. So, come on. Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. It's comics. And here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Hey Kids Comics. It's good to be... The return. The, the, the continuous 19, return. 1980. It's like a never-ending Hey Kids Comics 1980. Saga. No, we've done that. Have we actually? Yeah, we did Hey Kids Comics 1980. We did comics from the 80s. Right, because I was just yeah. thinking of... That was Mark Taylor's fault, right. Hey Kids Comics 1980. See, I, was just, I was just thinking of sequel shows that were always in the shadow of the original. <laughs> that are never quite as good. No. Is that what you're on? Not even with hover bikes. <laughs> the hover bikes were the best thing about the if, show. If you've got hover bikes but your TV show still sucks, you need to need to rethink. <laughs> you need to rethink what you're doing. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Maybe open a bar instead of doing a show. Oh, yeah, Glenn Larson. Maybe you should have opened a bar <laughs> instead of doing a sequel to, uh, to Battlestar Galactica. But, you know, we're not here to cast aspersions on the late Mr. Larson's work. We are here tonight to talk about DC Comics' Earth-1 line. Superman Earth-1, Volume 1. Yeah. Batman Earth-1, Volume 1. Wonder Woman Earth-1, Volume 1. By J. Michael Straczynski and Shane Davis, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, and Grant Morrison, and Yannick Piquet, and somebody called Furburn. Nathan Furburn. Yeah. Now... Uh, I'm pretty sure Superman Earth 1, in fact I know for a fact, mm. Superman Earth 1 Volume 1 has been covered on this illustrious network before, right. on Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, but I don't think anyone's covered on this network, I don't, I don't care about other networks. True. You can't look at what everybody's doing, mm-hmm. it's just not possible. Uh, I don't think Batman Earth 1 and Wonder Woman Earth 1 has been covered. And we, we kind of just considered, or I did, I just kind of threw this one at you, didn't right. I kind of considered just doing Superman or just doing Batman or whatever, but I thought it would be more fun to do the three different volume ones yeah. and do a, a compare and contrast. I thought that would be interesting. Mm. I don't know whether you're going to agree with me. But um, why don't you talk about the trade dress for a moment? Oh, you just find it funny that it hurts, I find it, it hysterical. The, the DC logo is completely different on all three. All three volumes, yeah. And one of them's got sur- uh, surnames, but the other two are full names. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't all line up. How do they compare to Superman Volume 2 and 3 and Batman Volume 2? Yeah, none of them. Like, I, I don't appreciate you taking the piss out of me. <laughs> I'm not actually taking the piss out of you. I, as, as listeners, uh, regular listeners to right. the show will know, you are the person who talks about the trade dress, yeah. the layout, the artistic well, design of the layout, <laughs> the paper stock. That's all on you. Yeah, now, to be fair, 
Right. Trademark Michael Baylor. Uh, it bugs the crap out of your mum yeah. that the essential volumes change their trade dress. So you've got a shelf full with the big white essential no, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they changed it. And that bugs the crap out of your mum as well to look at the bookshelf. And, and she'll go, and the whole kind of fantastic yeah. for And she'll look at him and go, What did you do that for? And here it is, so, it, so well, it's obviously yeah. something you get and off there's your a, there's, a, there's a big one on the Wonder Woman, but not on the others. Not on the others, yeah, there's you no actual acknowledgement. The well, there's no actual acknowledgement on the others that they are Volume 1. Yeah. It's just and Superman Earth 1, just, Batman Earth 1. They were just Earth 1. Yeah, whereas Wonder Woman clearly says Volume 1 on the cover yeah. as well. Well, Superman is a much darker red than the other two volumes of Superman. Right. In fact, Superman 2 is a bit orange. Is it? Yeah. I can't see Michelle from it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, maybe that's just my printing of it. So now that you've got the trade dress issue... Just out of my system. Out right, of your yeah. system. Well, the three covers... The covers... Oh, no. <laughs> the covers don't line up. Superman's got the old DC logo on it. Yeah. Not the DC bullet. The logo they had before the new one, which is, looks like the D is a decal being peeled Peel off, off the C. Yeah. yeah, so that doesn't match up either. Uh, but the, the covers are, are, are nice. Yeah, in the, in the, got the, the embossing going on. The embossing's going on. It's the, like uh, the ninth never went away. The third Superman. Yeah, why? The embossing was in a different place. Your Wonder Woman's got crappy chocolate stuck that to the myself. back. You best not be. That's not. Me. You've read it more recently than me, dude. Have you eaten chocolate while you read your Wonder Woman? I've, I've not. I've not touched chocolate. Okay. Got to okay. keep an eye on my waist. Is that what you do? Summer body. <laughs> what? And as they look out the window and see nothing but rain. Oh. Your summer body. Oh, yeah, okay. So that's what we're doing tonight. I thought that would be uh, a lot of fun to cover those three. I mean, I don't know if it will be. Yeah. It's entirely possible as we proceed through the show that it ends up not being a lot of fun at all. <laughs> um, you know, it's just a vibe that I'm getting. It's just a vibe I'm getting. Uh, anyway, should we, should we, we'll start off with some email. Because I think it's always fun to, to delve into my sack. And uh, rummage around. You've a bit. not got on board of this, have you? I don't. Never get bored of smut. <laughs> Let's be honest. Neither do you. I suppose, but I'm boobies. Lot... <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I'm a lot younger than you. I'm allowed to find it funny. D- d- mentally, though, are you really? Mentally, I think I might be older than you. I I think that's more than accurate. <laughs> I'll be brutally honest with you. You get there's an awful lot of your mum in you. Your okay. mum is much older than I am mentally, and always has been, even though I'm older than she is. Yeah, but Anya's older than you mentally, so... <laughs> what are you trying to say? I just, I'm just trying to say... I don't think you're trying to say anything. <laughs> I think you're actually saying I'm, I'm... that I have the mental age of a 14-year-old. 14? It'll be wank, Kenobi. <laughs> say, not just Stop me, it. dude. <laughs> Alright, let's read an email. Uh, Chris Franklin's the first person to email in um, this week. Uh, Captain America White Bread, which is a brand I would buy. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? I would, I would so buy Captain, because Captain America on White it. Bread. <laughs> just seeing that on the shelves just amuses me terribly. In my head. Yeah. Because it's not real. Just don't eat it when you get bits of red and blue on it. Yeah, well, would you put jam on Jelly, sorry, American looks Jello. Jello on it, because that's the red. What would be What would be the white? What could you put on that's white? Piece of cheese, perhaps? I don't know, the bread's already white. That's true. All right, what's blue? A piece of cheese. Bit of mould. Yeah. Yeah, let the bread go a little <laughs> bit moldy. 
and you've got a bit of penicillin <laughs> anyone no harm it's good for you it's a little, little bit of that it's good for you I went up the chippy with your mum the other day I dropped sausage on the floor picked it up dusted it off and ate it I was not wasting the £1.20 I spent on that sausage dude see that's a bit grim but I'd do the same if I spent £1.20 yeah, on a sausage you know, well, I mean it was a big one at all it was a crappy little one it was a good foot long <laughs> yeah so there's no way in hell I'm not chowing down on that sausage <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we got distracted from Chris's email. Yeah, with foot-long sausages. With foot-long sausages. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Christopher. I have the complete series of Captain America White, but haven't read all of it yet. Come on, Chris, it won't take you long, dude. <laughs> A good bowel movement <laughs> would get you through all six issues, I think. Yeah. A snafu at my LSC. LCS, sorry. Had me skipped over for issue four and that just threw everything off. Now that I've listened, I think I'll go home and read it. Loeb's work tends to read better all at once due to the massive amounts of decompression. Good job examining it. I agree that a cap unwilling to kill in World War II just paints him as a bad soldier. All of those old Golden Age covers by Schomburg with Cap and Bucky blasting with machine guns and riding bombs can't be wrong. Fury and Dum Dum are handled splendidly. I'd love to see a Howling Commandos Netflix series. Since Agent Carter got cancelled, sob, roll her in. Maybe have Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan do a guest spot. Hell, have Falsworth become Union Jack. That would be awesome. Mm. So have Union Jack in it. I don't know what at the minute, though. (laughs) (laughs) The problem with people protesting his costume and saying it's racist to wear that now. Interesting that you brought up the make cap gay controversy. I didn't know it was a controversy. I, I, isn't disagreeing with something like that controversial? Is because it? you are not part of the hive mind. Am I not? The social justice. Oh, I'm gonna have to be careful what I say. Aren't yeah, I? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be careful. I do of what you say. Um, I was unaware of this until listening to the Avengers Spotlight episode on Civil War. Apparently, the concept of two men who aren't father and son loving one another platonically is too alien for many loudmouth people to wrap their mind around. I have no problem with gay characters, but clearly, clearly, Cap and Bucky were never meant to be such and to suggest it is just ludicrous. Instead of making Cap gay, they've made him a Hydra sleeper agent and tainted his very origins in the new Cap series launched the very week you dropped this episode. Now, I tend to think this is just another long list of storylines meant to irrevocably change the character forever that is really just a marketing ploy to justify sales from a crumbling comic market. We heard the same things out of the superior Spider-Man. That was real. It was staying. Peter Parker is dead. Doctor Octopus is Spider-Man now and forever. Who's Spider-Man now? Uh, well, as we record this, Captain issue America two issue is two has landed, yeah. and hasn't it revealed the whole thing is a, is a hoax? Yeah. Because there was a wonderful article, I say wonderful, uh, saying this is Marvel backpedalling by somebody who clearly doesn't understand how publishing works. Yeah, yeah. yeah they turned around an issue in a month. Well, it's, it's just one of those things where it was... It was designed to shock and create sales whilst also reminding you it's just a ride and And it did that very thing yeah it did exactly what Marvel wanted it to do on a week when DC Rebirth came out do you think that's a coincidence? Mm. no I think Marvel knew exactly what they were doing with it I don't perhaps think they anticipated the sheer amount of coverage that it would get yeah but certainly as far as Marvel is concerned on the week that DC's Rebirth number one came out that was a remarkable result for them Mm. from a marketing and word of mouth point of view yeah and it did exactly what they wanted it to so I actually think fair play to them from a business point of view yeah not talking creatively because I've not read the story but from a business point of view on the month when your main rival kicks out that DC Rebirth number one and that many people are talking about your comic, job done. Yeah. Job well done. Business-wise, in the long run, though, DC have 
with the rebirth. It's, well, it's too early to make that call, but let's let's just look at it from a point of view. No rebirth title has sucked. Mm. Not a single one has sucked. There yeah. have been obviously ones I've enjoyed well, I've not more read than any others. Of the rebirth ones. You need to. I've not heard any anything bad about. No, them. there's there's been across the board. There's been no negativity about them. Mm. And I've read all of them that have been released at this point. Largely thank you to people jacking the prices up on eBay. Right. So I've not bought any physically. I've just yeah. gone on Comicsology where they're charging 30p less cover price anywhere. Mm. So you can buy more. So even taking out of consideration the fact that people have whacked them all on eBay for cover. Not for cover, for jacking up the price because they're greedy bastards. Yeah. It's basically just made me walk away and go digital. So essentially... Right bricks and mortar store though which most ebay people are hmm. they're selling actual physical comics they've shot themselves in the foot yeah because they've lost me as a physical buyer because i bought all of them off comiXology like i say for cheap and you don't actually have the issues hmm. so you've not got storage problems so they have inadvertently turned me into a digital buyer so that's, well done people jacking up the price interesting that you're a digital now yeah because i'm i refuse to go digital no i know you're not a digital but you don't have an ipad that's true well I suspect if I bought you an iPad for Christmas or something, you would suddenly become a digital convert. No. Really? For the sake of convenience and travel, because mm. I read all the shit the changing man on an iPad when we went to Florida. Yeah, Scott let you is, didn't he? But I'd much rather have a book or a trade than than an iPad. Right. Okay, so yeah, for travelling, they're, they're just and just the convenience, like you're sat in a doctor's surgery, you've got time between appointments or dinner or whatever, mm. just to be able to go on Comixology and just download a comic to read it again. Yeah, it's just it is just so convenient. Yeah, it is convenient, but it's not to me. It's not reading a comic. Mm, I can see your point because I was once where you are. Yeah, but I am now at the point where I don't need another box uh, full of comics. I suppose you also pay for comics, whereas I read what you pay for. Yeah, so so, <laughs> so yeah, looking at all that, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And I will always go cheapest. Yes. Bottom line, I will always go cheapest. Mm. And if Comixology is with the amount comics yeah, are charging, with how much they are nowadays, if Comixology is charging one pound ninety nine versus mm. two pound thirty to two pound fifty in a shop, depending where you buy them, to the ridiculous four to five quid yeah. that some shops on eBay are charging, I'm going to go Comixology. Mm. So. You say, essentially, you've only got yourself to blame, though, bricks yeah. and mortar stores, because there is no bigger supporter of actual physical shops than me. Mm. But if you're going to do that to me as your consumer, screw you. Yeah. And Comixology don't run out of stock. That's that's true. Yeah. Well, don't Comixology have pre-orders on certain titles? Like, wasn't a rebirth? Yeah, they do, which I don't understand the point of. I really don't understand the point of pre-ordering it as soon as. But you can, but anyway. Well, pre-orders has been this big thing recently anywhere, where is that you get it the second it comes out. Well, you do anyway. You can pre-order and pre even you can install video games now yeah. onto your console, but you cannot access them until the minute until that they're released. Midnight it comes out just so that you can play it immediately. Ah. Well, I know. I suppose if you want it that quickly, but seeing as I'll buy a couple from Comicsology and then they'll just sit on my iPad for two, three. Weeks yeah. before I actually get read. I still haven't read Superman Batman number one. I've read Rebirth number one. Right. But I've not read Superman Batman number one. Right. But I've read all the others. Mm. So I've not got around to that because I've got them on physical order. But the thing with Rebirth, um, I didn't want to outlay all that money for something that I wasn't convinced I was going to like. It's not like I trusted DC to pull this off. Yeah. I'll be brutally honest, I didn't. Mm. So no one is more surprised than me that they have. Yeah. So then when you suddenly hear good word of mouth and you want to go out and buy it and there isn't a copy there for you to buy, or if there is, they've jacked the price up on it. Yeah. Even brand new comics out that day, they've jacked the price up on. 
I'm just like, not a chance. Because I'm a stubborn bastard, by and large. Yeah. And so, touting kills off businesses. Yeah. And they, it's like they learned nothing from the 90s. Mm. Is it better for you to have that on eBay and flog it for a fiver and it not sell? Mm. And it just sit on eBay month after month, whatever. Because a couple of them haven't sold, because I've seen them. Yeah. Or would you not have preferred me to buy it for cover price? Mm. So... Well, it's just this weird belief that number ones sell more. So... It could be an absolutely god-awful number one that nobody wants. But because it's a number one, you'll put it on eBay for a tenner. Well, that Liverpool Comet Mart we went to last week, me, you and Dana. Yeah. The, that box that I leafed through was all number ones. Because mm. I said to you, it's like somebody must have bought every number one from like 1985, 1986 through to the present day. Yeah. Because I got Blue Beetle number one, Black Booster Gold number one, Excalibur mm. number one, The Sword is Drawn little thing, and a couple of other issue number ones that I wouldn't have bought otherwise. And I looked on thing, oh, Booster Gold and Blue Beetle do sell for silly prices, those number ones. Right. And I wish I'd bought more now. <laughs> <laughs> just so like you could become the problem that you just complained about. No, to read them. Right, because yeah. Because I, I probably wouldn't have sold them, would I? Mm. But I didn't, because I was like, well, there's a couple of other things I'd rather buy than, than take a punt on this. Yeah. Because if I like it, I've got to end up buying it all. Mm. So, you know. Anyway, yeah, so uh, we'll conclude uh, Chris's email. But did Marvel come up with the plan to divert the gay issue? Or was it coincidence that all this gay talk came up around the time Marvel was planning this? And it played into the big secret reveal that turned a corner no one expected. Either way, I don't like it. It may be a great storyline, but it seems odd to drag the character through the mud, especially since everyone is so high on the Civil War film. By the time you guys read this, the storyline may be over. Who knows, even if these creators expect this to stick, someone will follow them and re-retcon this to the trash bin. What does all this have to do with Captain America White? Eh, not much. I rambled. Sorry, great show though. Take care. Chris, that's okay, Chris. We rambled as well. So we actively encourage that. You know what I did like about that Captain America development? The actors mm. from the film commented on it. Right. Chris Evans tweeted about it, and um, Peggy Carter, Hayley Atwell tweeted about it, mm. and a couple of other things as well. And you don't normally see that. It's like the DC actors will plug the comics more than the Marvel actors will. Right. Because Henry Cavill talks quite a lot about which comics he reads to yeah. prepare for the role. And Ben Affleck's recommended a couple as Even well. Christian Bale did. And Christian Bale, yeah. Whereas the Marvel actors just kind of don't mention the comics much. Yeah. Tobey Maguire read the first 50 issues of Spider-Man. Right. I'll give him that. I don't know what he did for two and three. <laughs> but for the first one... Really. He read the next 50. <laughs> no, I don't think he did. I don't think he did at all. I, I, I do think Emma Stone read The Night Gwen Stacy Died. Right. Because she referenced it quite a lot. Mm. And I think Andrew Garfield made her. But they don't mention it as much. Yeah. As they do the DC actors. So, fair play that they actually got to mention in the comic. Another email about Captain America White. Going on a bear hunt. Go on. I'm not a racist. <laughs> no, that's right. I wanted you to do the rest Sorry, of the Sorry, I, I feel like I'm defending myself from something I might have said at some point. <laughs> that, that's Patrick Delmore's subject. Right, okay. That's not in the book. No, I think we should no. point that out. At no point did he say, we're going on a bear hunt. Yeah. I'm not a racist in that book. <laughs> The politically correct <laughs> version. Yeah. With a guilty with a side of a guilty conscience. On a hunt. <laughs> hey, yeah, because if somebody's gonna get us into trouble for something that's said, it's probably gonna be you. It's definitely gonna be me, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm 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 Captain Nice. Yeah, yeah. And you're you <laughs> I've got you to edit me out, so I've got to <laughs> Yeah, but I've stopped doing that yeah, now. Oh great. You're old enough <laughs> to defend your own point of view now, dude. Fair enough. <laughs> 
I'm just hoping our listeners are nice enough to, <laughs> to not complain. To forgive the fact that you yeah. rebel against. Yeah. Forgive, <laughs> forgive and forget. <laughs> well, they can't forget, it's on tape. Or whatever the equivalent is. Oh, well, forgive me twice then. <laughs> uh, Patrick continues, or even starts. Yes. I should say. Hi, Andy. Hi, Michael. On your Captain America White episode, you asked listeners to tell you if you found the title controversial. My answer is, meh, kind of. But not as controversial as Batman the Master Race. <laughs> yeah. But on the nose, that. Although I've not read that, so it could be great. I don't know. Yeah, I, I've not read it. I doubt it. Okay. <laughs> Before I go any further, I should point out that I live in Seattle, which is the most liberally sensitive area in the United States. Comics like Captain America should be mass appeal. I think the movies do a very good job of representing Captain America as an everyman, and I hope that he once again, when I was a kid, I didn't know anyone who read his comics, has fans of all ages, genders and races, but it is likely that a person of colour who is at a bookstore looking for a nice Captain America boot to give their kids for Christmas or a birthday is going to buy one that says America and White on the cover. Or in a case that applies to me personally, will I get side-eyed glances from people on a city bus who seem who see me reading something that at a quick glance might as well be called White America with a big flag on it? I don't think there is any literal bias in the book, not as you guys sold it, but there are times, places and situations like those listed above where a perception of racial bias may have a minor but nonetheless negative effect. The book isn't about race, but as long as it looks like it might be, controversy will follow. I still haven't read the comic, but you guys got me interested enough to get it from the library at some point. Keep up the intermittent goodies, Patrick. Well, what do you think about that? Uh... Well, I, I know what you've got to say about it, so uh, well, I'll, I'll not say My it. opinion on that is, is simply then, is that a society problem? Mm. If you and can't... Like you can't read something. Yeah, if you can't call your book by a controversial title, even though that's nothing to do with the inner of the book, with the actual tone and context of the book, is that our problem as a society that we're seeing something that isn't there? Yeah. Or is Patrick right that when you just see that title, you instantly jump to somewhere else? Because mm. I think we mentioned in the show, I gave the title. I didn't give the title a second thought. No. But I'm a Caucasian British man. Well, not a white uh, American or even an African American. See, is there not a flip side of that? Yeah. Like, is that by saying a black person would they feel uncomfortable with Captain America white? Is that kind of like me not wanting to read Spider Man when he's in a black costume? I know it's completely different, but it's it's one of those things of it works the other way around. What, you just don't like that costume, so you don't... No, 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 is that, well, going by colours, mm. if a black person walks in and sees Captain America white, is that not the same as, can a white person be offended by walking into a bookstore and read saying something that says black? I, it's I, just a name, it's just a colour. So it shouldn't... And it fits in with the other Colours trilogy. Yeah. I, I don't know. See, this is where you're on very, very sensitive ground. Yes. And let's be honest, we're a, we're a rambling show about funny books. <laughs> you're not going to come to us for any great profound meaning. And we're not going to solve the mysteries of life mm, in this particular show. Yeah. But that, it would be interesting to throw that out to anybody who could give us with con concrete examples of them finding that. Now, what Patrick's talking about there is he is seeing there is a potential problem hmm. if he sat on the bus reading that book. It would be an interesting experiment to go and sit on a bus and read that book and see if anybody said anything. That's true. Just to see I, what happened. I was once on a book, uh, a bus yeah. carrying the best of Rolf Harris <laughs> on vinyl. 
<laughs> this is same, a true story, isn't it? It genuinely is the same week it all came out. Why did you have the best of Rolf Harris on vinyl? My friend gave it to me as a birthday present for that exact reason. Really? Yeah. You, it's, have, it's you, you have bad friends. Yeah, but he thought it would be hilarious to give me the best of Rolf Harris on vinyl. It would and have then, been hilarious to give then, me that, but not have you go on the bus with him. And then it. make me go on public transport with him. Alright, so he's doing it deliberately, but, but pedophilia is a different thing. It is, but it's still... It's a different topic, but the same... Incident. It's in the same area. Well, I'm saying being on a public area with that... With something that is potentially controversial. Yeah. Whereas a week before that, nobody would have looked at you twice. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, it's certainly it's 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 the topic of conversation that I wanted to broach, which is why I asked for people's opinion on it. And only Patrick really got in touch with us about mm. it. So there's no, there's no real there isn't really a debate so much as somebody give me a different point of view, which is what I asked for and what we got. Yeah, you and I didn't have a problem with it. No, but you and I, Caucasian British men, not white or African American. That's true. It seems to be a much bigger problem in America than it is here. I would have agreed with you before the EU referendum. That is, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> true. But yeah, it's, it's a much bit. but I guess it's a... America's a bigger country with a bigger... With a bigger African-American wider, population. Yeah. Lots more different types of people. I wanted to say that smartly, but... A, a larger demographic. <laughs> yeah, that's More better. demographics. Yeah. 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 That's possible. So Again, it could not just be a societal thing, it could be a cultural thing. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Loeb doesn't bring up the controversy of the title in his interview that's published in the book, mm. but he does bring up the possibility that people will read something to the Bucky-Cap relationship that he says is definitely not there. Yeah. But again, this goes towards once you've released your, your work, how people you read that... It is not in your control. I mean, we've got a book that we're looking at tonight that somebody read the opening of it completely different to me. Yeah. To the point where I actually think they were looking... There's a key word in that that I think triggered them and they completely missed the point of it. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of those things where there is a certain responsibility on the writer, mm. or in the case of comics, the artist. Say, like, a piece of modern art mm. that's, that's just a bunch of paint splats... The artist has their message, but it's up to the audience how they perceive that. Yeah. It's not clear. It's it's completely up to you as the audience. But with a story, mm. whether you know there is there's a certain amount of ambiguity in a story that you put it all together. But when it comes down to something like that, then it should be up to the writer to make it. Clear. It should be clear. Yeah. Because this it, it kind of plays into the the Milo Minera thing again, doesn't it? Do you think Milo Minera is a pornographic artist? Mm. Which was one of the pe- what people said about his spot. He's a porno artist, or do you think he is a what's what's the word I'm looking for? An erotic, an artist. erotic artist. Yeah, in that there is a difference. Yeah, also he comes uh, from a different culture. Also, is, is he Italian? Yeah, I think was so. Was he Italian? Yeah. So yeah, so he comes from somewhere where eroticism and porn maybe the lines are blurred slightly more. Hmm. But having seen his work, I would definitely come down the side of eroticism rather yeah. than pornograph pornography. Hmm. But. So, but I don't know that you'd want to read a Milo Minera book on a bus. That I actually brought in some of his artwork into my comic art course. Oh, what did they think? Uh, um, I, I was asked. Uh, it was by my more arty tutor, and he's like, "What's that? That's just like it's, it's just like a naked woman." I said, "Well, no, it's not, is it? Because hmm. you know, it doesn't matter what the sub- subject is. It's still art. It's still a comic. It's yeah. comic art." Well, don't you have to draw naked people for the course? That's true. Yeah. yeah so. Anyway, well, thank you to Patrick for emailing in about that. Because if that's what we asked for, we wanted an opinion on it. Yeah. 
uh, preferably a different opinion of it, which, like you say, is what Patrick gave us. So, thank Yao very much for that, Patrick, and also thank you for Christopher for emailing it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to plug Sunday's show, and then when we return, it is the Earth One graphic novels. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jason Giaconetti. You may recognize my voice from the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, and if you don't, you should be listening. But today I need to ask you a few questions. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? Other robots just can't deny that when the Queen of Space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung? Are you deep in the bee we're sharing? Are you hooked and you can't stop staring? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the Triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. Announced in 2009 as being part of a new continuity-free line of graphic novels aimed at new readers, Earth One was supposed to be DC's answer to Marvel's ultimate line of comics, modern, updated versions of the core characters for a more sophisticated audience. Initial entries into the line included Superman and Batman, of course, but also Wonder Woman, Teen Titans, Flash and Aquaman. Earth One predates the New 52 by a year or so, but the impetus was largely the same. Relaunch the DC characters, but in a more hip and edgy style. Unlike the New 52, though, the Earth One books have a uniform feel, like the creators have thought out what they're going to do and have a game plan. The line launched with Superman Earth One by J. Michael Straczynski and Shane Davis. On the topic of the book, Straczynski said, I'm trying to dig into the character and look at him through modern eyes. If you were to create the Superman story for today, for the first time, but keep intact all that works, what would it look like? As a fledgling writer, I used to love going to see productions of Shakespeare because it would often be done so that you took the original play and moved it forward in time. So you could have Two Gentlemen of Morona set in pre-World War II Italy, or you could have a female Hamlet, or, as was recently produced for film, Richard III set in a corollary for Nazi Germany. And certainly the lens through which you view those stories, those plays, colours and changes how you perceive them without changing anything essential. Here, of course, we're doing more than that because we're not sticking to a script, but the idea is much the same. So in the case of Superman, you take all those elements that work and infuse them with a modern sensibility, how it would be written today, this minute, if it had just been created for the first time. What do you think about that? Don't know. Okay. Yeah. Were you even listening? Yes, yes. <laughs> do you just zone out when I do the introductions? Sometimes. <laughs> Oh, you do amuse <laughs> Straczynski was an obvious choice. He's loudly proclaimed his love for Superman at every opportunity since signing to DC after defecting from Marvel following the close of his run on Spider-Man. His first attempt at writing the character was the huge misfire that was the grounded story arc, but it's clear Straczynski has more to say on the subject of Superman. I generally like JMS as a writer, but he has had a number of stories that have had me scratching my head. In addition, I'm really of the opinion that the fifth season of Babylon 5 was so piss poor, it almost retroactively spoiled the rest of the series for me. I had no opinion at all on Shane Davis, as I didn't know who he was. Uh, we've already talked about the design. That it, what's weird about them, um, we've got the hard covers. There's no dust jackets. So it's just like the hardcover is, is printed onto the cover yeah. of the book. No, I, I really like them. I liked that as well. Um, the layout's nice. The black yeah. trim down the left-hand side with whatever. They do look very smart. Yeah. 
they do look like nice, a nice quality leather-bound type books, don't mm. they? Which is which is quite impressive. Despite the cover featuring the glowy red eyes of anger, <laughs> what really seemed to niggle at people when this was released was that Superman is wearing a hoodie on the cover. Right. Accusations were hurled at DC that this was aimed at the Twilight crowd, as if there was something wrong with that. Mm. I'm absolutely positive DC would love some of that Twilight money. Well, there's the thing with this is clearly aimed at a younger generation. Yeah, if Clark yeah. were 20 today, yeah. he'd wear a hoodie. And I, I'm not insulting or you know saying anything about your 20-year-old brethren. Was it not older generations complaining that this book aimed at younger generations was reflecting the audience it was aimed at? Entirely possible. But, uh, like I say, I, I didn't have a problem with it, because... The only thing I know. find funny about it is he looks like uh, uh, he looks like he's on a poster for anti-knife crime. <laughs> on the cover? Yeah. <laughs> he looks a bit, you know, thuggish. He, he does. Don't, don't look in the wrong way, because he's going to super jack you. See, the main problem with it is it doesn't say Superman to have him wearing the hoodie with his head down, with his eyes glowing red, and then showing... Like a partial shirt rip. Which is one of the things I like the most and dislike about it. Mm. The Earth One title's set out to be different. Yeah. So you don't want to look at a cover of this different Superman and see the same Superman. And I like that it's reflecting this new take on the character. I I oh, I don't want to give away what we thought whether about you it like, too early. Whether but... you like this take on the character, that cover is a good reflection of it. Yeah, it is essentially one of the things we've talked about before is does Superman need a Sherlock? Doctor Who style makeover mm. does it need somebody to come in rip it apart put it back together so that it's exactly the same but completely different and so it works for the next generation honestly? like Lois and Clark did no, I think that's the problem with Superman now, what? the problem with Superman now is everyone wants to drag him down to make him one of us, to make him relatable, mm. well what was Superman he was super so we're pulling him too far in the wrong direction. And it's the Clark Kent side that's the relatable side. Yeah. Superman's the wish fulfillment angle. Superman should be, and I don't want to, you know, sound the alarms again, yeah. but Superman's never been as big and godlike as he was in, say, All-Star or back in JLA mm. when the Justice League were gods. Yeah. We're dragging him down to us when really, creatively, he should be pushed away. So he should be a figure of aspiration. Yes. Right, and it's Clark who lives down here with us. Yes. But Superman should be a godlike figure. Yeah. But he should still be approachable. Mm. He shouldn't be like he shouldn't ho he shouldn't ever hover above the ground when talking to people. No, but you should still look up at him. Yeah, but you can look at him when he lands. But when yeah. he talks to you, he's one on one. He relates to you. Like David Tennant when he crouched down to interview that kid. Yeah. yeah. See. So maybe that's and that's very much what this is trying to do. Yes. This is trying to be Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat updating Sherlock Holmes, mm. but with Superman. Yeah. Okay. And I think I liked it more at the time because it wasn't done to death. Um, the new Fifty Two has been very definitely. Yeah, I think my I think my my main difference between this and the new Fifty Two, at least this seemed like it was thought out. Grant Morrison may have known where he was going with action comics, but no other bugger seemed to know what well, Superman was. It's its, its own yeah. thing. It's not got a new creative team on Earth 1, Volume 2, yeah. who's you know sending it in a completely di different direction just to make sales. Yeah, Straczynski's steering the ship, mm. and he's been allowed to go wherever he wants to go with it. Yeah. For good or ill. 
Alright, same as before. Big synopsis because it's a big book. I've tried to trim it down as much as possible. 20-year-old Clark Kent steps off the bus in Metropolis, his first day in the big city. After securing an apartment in a not-too-salubrious part of town, he sets about finding a job. Sports and science, although alluring, don't seem to have any appeal. He tries the Daily Planet, but that doesn't seem like a good fit either. Clark has no idea where he's from, only he is not of this earth. He was found as a child and raised by Jonathan and Martha Kent in Smallville. Elsewhere, Major Sandra Lee is investigating a bizarre craft that landed on Earth some 20 years ago. She is distracted by news of a series of alien craft on a course for Earth. A piece of that craft is in possession of one Clark Kent, and it chooses this moment to activate, filling his head with strange symbols and images of a far-off planet called Krypton. These images arrive just as the strange craft detected by Major Lee appears all over the Earth and proves to be easily superior to Earth's military forces. Gene Simmons from KISS walks off the ship and says his name is Tyrell. He's here for a strange visitor from another planet who has been hidden on Earth for some years. He will decimate the planet if this being does not reveal himself. Not like that. Clark dons a colourful costume made for him from the blankets he was found in and adopts his name that his father gave him. Superman. Superman engages Tyrell's forces in battle, and whilst this happens, Tyrell explains that Krypton's death was no accident. As a neighbour of Krypton, his planet, Daron, waged war against the Kryptonians, but they could only meet every 20 years due to the orbits of the planet. However, an unknown race offered the Denons another way. Over time, they would drop a series of probes into the Krypton atmosphere, undetected. These probes would bore into the core of the planet, causing instability and ultimately destruction. Under the terms of the agreement with the shadowy alien, not one Kryptonian could be left alive. Guess why Tyrell's here on Earth? He's using these world engines to destroy Earth and then Kal-El himself. Superman has had enough and starts to fight back. The vessel in Major Lee's possession suddenly leaves and flies to Superman, and he, in turn, uses it to fly through the Deron's vessel. The damage is extensive and activates a red sun generator that nullifies the powers of both Superman and Tyrell. Superman wails on Tyrell, fully prepared to die, but Tyrell is conveniently trapped by fallen debris. As with all good science fiction, blows up, Superman falls from the ship and is healed by the sun's yellow rays and flies away. The world isn't too sure about this new Superman when they read his story in the Daily Planet the next day, a Clark Kent exclusive. The military want him found by any means necessary, the public are divided. In the Arctic, Superman asks the ship to tell him all it knows about who he is and where he came from. Lois and Jimmy discuss the events of the day. Lois postulates that this is a major change. There will be a before Superman and after Superman, because we don't ladle the Jesus analogue on enough in Superman stories. Either way, the world will never be the same. Ah, trim that down quite a bit. Hmm. Well, there's not much to it once the fighting starts. The actual story, uh, I would agree with you. There isn't very much to to what it is as it actually goes along. I do think that J. Michael Straczynski should have been credited with Man of Steel. Certainly a story idea or whatever. Because there is an awful lot of this that worked its way into Man of Steel, wouldn't it? This one? Yeah, the aliens, first contact alien showing right, up. Right, okay. Right. That's a Man of Steel thing. Yep. That they've come for Superman, Man of Steel, that they're using these world engines to destroy the Earth, Man of Steel. Right, okay. So there's quite a lot of parallels with Man of Steel 
even Clark searching for who he is across the world. Now, he's a lot older in Man of Steel. He's, what, 33 years of age in Man of Steel? Right. Something like that, whereas he's 20 here. Yeah. So, but the the basic framework of the story, and I would argue a lot of the incidental elements of the story, are all here. Yeah. And so, so I think Straczynski should have, at the very least, got a thanks mm. on the Man of Steel thing, but, you know... I'm not in charge of those decisions. Uh, Superman arrives fresh off the bus in Metropolis at the corner of Donner and Swan. Yeah. Um, not Siegel and Schuster. Eh? Wouldn't that have made more sense? I, yeah, I guess. To, so. to, but no, let's fillet Richard Donner again. Because Superman the movie. Yeah. But see, the corner see of Siegel and Swan. Yeah. So I, I just think that was, that was a little bit, you know, that would have been better. Yeah. If they'd arrived there. Uh, Lois and Clark began this exact same way. Right. Clark fresh off the bus and Dean Kane was accused of being more superboy than Superman whereas this bloke's just just 19 turned 20 yeah so he's he's the same age as you he is so you are now Superman I'm not sure what you get from being 20 <laughs> to being Superman you know no. you're, you're now the same age as Superman whereas Superman when I was growing up was always 30 right yeah so he was always clearly supposed to be older than I was. Mm. So now Superman is your contemporary. I'd rather Superman be older than me. Yeah, I, I do think that would make more sense. If you had Superman's powers, would you be altruistic? Or would you be um, Thingyo from Invincible? I, I, I don't know. If I had the powers of Superman, I would very definitely sell myself out. <laughs> You'd be Booster Gold, wouldn't would you? I would definitely be Booster Gold. Yeah. Like, if you say that you wouldn't use your powers for money, you're a liar. Well, if you're Booster Gold, you're still doing the right thing. You just but profit off it. Yeah, but you've just got Which a thing is, on your cape. A lot of people give Booster Gold uh, flack, but he's a smart man. No, I think that's perfectly acceptable. I'm, I'm a student. I've got debts. <laughs> and you will have now. <laughs> um... The opening to the first thing, the first super thing we see Clark do, glowing red eyes. Yeah, he's he's very. Are you weird. are you bored of that, or is it just me? Yeah, uh, it's 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 a very definite last ten years or so thing, isn't it? Yeah, is We're it a Jeff Johns thing or a Jim Lee thing? I don't know. I don't know. It certainly seems to be one of those two. Mm. I mean, Byrne did it, but he didn't do it but every it happened, issue. But it wasn't, yeah. He did it in one frame. And how do we show that Superman's angry? Yeah. So I mean, I don't. I mean, it's a good visual representation of his using his heat vision. And it's an intimidation thing, isn't it? Yeah. Because the guy thinks it's contact lenses. Yeah. Yeah, which is quite amusing. Um, he tries out lots of different things. Football. My only issue with this is there are a number of people who now know what Clark can do. Yeah. You know, he's he tries out the football, he's the best football player they've ever seen, mm. and then he just decides he doesn't want to do it. He goes to Neodyne Industries for, to be a research scientist, where, you know, he could earn decent money, certainly more than he could earn as a superhero. Uh, and he's using his intelligence, so he comes across as being ultra-bright, mm. and that guy knows what he can do. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of implies that he, he goes through... Well, it doesn't imply, it actually clearly states... He tries out for a number of jobs, baseball, construction, various other things, but nothing really takes for him. And because we've talked on the show before that Clark playing football is a mistake for a number of reasons, but it does make us ask why Clark chooses the path he ultimately chooses. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of 
I didn't know what I thought about that because there's a trail of people who know Clark Kent can do these well, wonderful things. I didn't like it because he's. I, I when it comes to new takes and origins, it's all I always compare it to Superman the movie. Yeah. And so in that he he, he does the football, but he can't because he's better than everyone. Yeah. But in this, it shows that he's better than everyone at everything. Hmm. And then it goes too far to kind of alienate him and isolate him. And I thought it was very heavy the way they did that. Right. Yeah, because he's actually physically lifting a man. Twice he's sad. Twice he's sad. Yeah. And it's, you know... I don't know. I get why they do this kind of thing, but it, it has been... This is another last ten years or so thing, isn't it? Mm. This idea that we have to play up the alienation of Superman. Yeah. And there's a moment... They do do it in Superman the movie, to be fair. Mm. There's that moment in Superman the movie that was cut from the theatrical cut. Right. Where he goes back to Jor-El. It's, a, it's in the extended version on DVD, so it's not a cut scene anymore. He goes back to Jor-El and says, why do I have to be Clark Kent anymore? Why can't I just pack it in? Yeah. And Jor-El actually says to him, because Clark keeps you grounded. If people worship you all the time, it's going to go to your head. Yeah. And then there's that other bit where Clark sat in the Daily Planet newsroom and the camera pulls back and he's like, okay, now what? Mm. And those two scenes do a better job of getting that idea across than this. Yeah. Which spends quite a lot of pages on it. I do have a question for you. Right. When you went looking for uh, flats and houses to live at at university, did the landlord or landlady give you life advice? Uh, no, no, they didn't. But, uh... <laughs> Is that part of the deal when you go rent an apartment? Well, what, what they were trying to do was get us to, to buy the house. So it wasn't life advice, it was more uh, lies. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so they were politicians. <laughs> yeah. Alright, fair enough. Um... If Neodyne aren't interested in employing him, which they say they're not, and it's only when he solves the formula for them yeah. that they suddenly get interested, how did he even get through the door? To the head. Yeah. Did he? What did he do? Did he fly up there? Because mm. there is no way... It, that's like going into a major company and seeing the head of it with no appointment. Yeah. They don't know who you are. You imagine walking into a branch of Virgin and just going up and seeing Richard Branson. Mm. It's not going to happen, is it? Yeah. So, because this guy's a big muckety muck as well. He is. So it, I, that bit kind of made me go, you know, things that make you go, hmm, <laughs> when you're reading it. Uh, taking the cue from Secret Origin, do you remember Secret Origin? Jeff Johns, Gary Frank. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. That was it? a thing for about 20 seconds <laughs> before people got bored of it. He's introduced here as Kent Clark, as he was in that story. Right. Unlike that series, Clark corrects the mistake. Yeah. So throughout Secret Origin, you go through it going, his name's Kent Clark. Whereas this, no, no, he, he says, no, my name's Clark. Mm. Clark again. Jimmy Olsen's that? a cool kid now. Yeah, I didn't like this version of Jimmy Olsen. Am I the only one who likes Jimmy Olsen the squirrel with a little bow tie? I like Jimmy the scrappy kid in Superman Kryptonite. Right, okay. I don't mind that reinvention of it. Yeah. But this... Having him be hip and cool. Yeah, having him be a hipster. With, with a cool-ass camera that takes 20 gigabyte photos. Yeah, and, and the little soul patch. Yeah. Under his under his lip. Yeah. You know, it didn't really work for me. I mean, I do like his, his sideburns. Right, okay. Running down yeah, the side yeah. of his head. I, I like that That's look. usually where sideburns are. Well, you know what, but running all the way down. I like that look. Mm. I don't know why. It's very Doctor Who. Um, JMS does mention in an interview as well the same one I think I quoted that from that one of the things that always bugged him about it about Superman was nobody ever got a newsroom right 
and as somebody who's worked in a newsroom, he, he tried to emulate what a newsroom genuinely felt like. Right. So he's good at the snappy patter and the, the, the bugle, the bugle, the planet scenes. I've actually typed bugle. Yeah. The planet scenes are a good indication of this. It's Shane Davis's photo references that just ripped me right out of the story. Shane Davis, I think, because I've, I've, seen, I've, I've seen some of his stuff on Green Lantern, mm. and he's a very good artist, yeah. but a very boring artist. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. And there's a bit later on that is laughable at how boring it is. Alright, well you can tell me that later. But the thing that got me is Lois Lane is Jennifer Carpenter from right. Dexter. Okay. That's not even pretending to be anyone else. Mm. That's Dexter's sister. Right. And I'm reading it, and that just took me out well, of the story. Don't draw Jennifer Carpenter. Can draw you, Lois Lane. Can you not tell when he's uh, using reference at how people's faces change? Um, so Clark doesn't look the same facially throughout this entire Who's entry. he modelling Clark on, then? I, I don't. There's a bit of Dean Cain later on. You think? Uh, definitely a, a splash page at the end. Alright, see, I, I, there's a little bit of Jensen Ackles to him. Yeah. A little bit. boring as well. What, like, the it, shot where he well, flies into, a, into the atmosphere? There's this scene which I thought was very heavy on the alienation when he just throws away mm. the thing from the planet. But then when he just hovers up and stands about in space, it's just <laughs> boring. That's Superman in space! You shouldn't be yawning at it! <laughs> It, it does kind of look like he's just floating around, yeah. not doing anything particularly And that's, we are seeing Superman fly for the first time. It shouldn't be him looking dreary-eyed and us... It's very Superman Returns, isn't it? Mm. It's... Instead of... Yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's a little bit... the first bit. time you see Superman fly, it should be cool. Yeah. The first time he flew in Man of Steel was cool. Yeah, first time he flew in Superman the movie. Yeah. Was cool. But this is dull. Yeah. It's like he's, he's listening to Morris on his earphones. <laughs> it's like he's not flying, it's like he's just floating. Yeah. Which isn't particularly dynamic. That should be in the third act where he's doubting himself. Yeah. Because well, if you start with him doubting himself, mm. the words you go from there. The Daily Planet seems feel authentic, if yeah. nothing else. Perry yeah, White. There's only three people working there. Yeah, well, that was a trope from... Well, there's a couple of other people in the cubicles. Yeah. But we'll only ever talk to three people. (laughs) Nobody else matters. Perry White takes on the standard JMS trope of being the mouthpiece, standing up for what you believe no matter what. There's one of them in every Straczynski story. Right, okay. And this is very definitely... No one reads newspapers anymore. Yeah, which is Bendis' shit. Digital is killing us off. Yeah, probably. There's always somebody in a JMS comics who mops platitudes about decency and never giving up and standing up for what you believe in. Yeah. It gets a little bit old once you spot it. There's always somebody there. And the planet scenes do throw up some interesting questions. If Clark's only 20, Mm. Lois has to be at least five older than him. Probably five years older, sorry. Probably more. Yeah. To be in the position that she's in. There's no way Lois is 20. Mm. I would argue to be at the position she's in at this newspaper, she has to be at least 30. Right. So Lois is 10 years older than Clark. I don't have a problem with any romances that are different in age. I don't have a problem with that at all. There's definitely no romance between them in this. There isn't, no. But I'm just raising that because then, what does that mean for Jimmy? I'd say Jimmy's in his late 20s. Yeah. So yeah. Jimmy's older than Clark as well. I think that's where your problem is. If Jimmy Olsen is older than Superman. Yeah. So you've got a 20-year-old Superman with a 30... Let's be generous. 27 to 30-year-old Lois. And a Jimmy who's at least 5 to 10 years older than him. Yeah. 
And then there's just something I can accept recasting Perry White with Lawrence Fishburne. Right. And I can accept other things that they change about it. Mm. But that's just wrong. Jimmy shouldn't be older than Clark. No. Jimmy's the young kid who comes in off the street looking for a job who proves himself. Yeah. And Clark's kind of like a mentor figure that he looks up to. Mm. The minute you make Clark younger than Jimmy and Olsen, you've, you've changed the dynamic. Jimmy is then Clark's mentor. Yeah. And you're kind of like, huh? But in this, he's, he's Jimmy Olsen is the ultra-cool dick. And I'm not saying that as a, in an insulting way. It's that kind of stereotypical way. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's, a, bit, he's a jock, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much. In this. It's, it's a different take, but it's it's better than him being shot by ISIS in the first ten minutes, <laughs> or an ISIS equivalent. Yes, analog. Yeah, analog. Uh, there's subtle updates to the origin. Uh, JMS has Jonathan and Martha Kent being hikers rather than driving, which I thought was quite subtle because right. with the amount of like I don't know how many speed cameras or whatever. They would be in Smallville, right? But there would be the potential though that if this rocket ship crashes into Earth, we quite clearly see later on that the military show up to take it because that's the ship that Major Lee has got, yeah, or bits of that ship that she's got later on. If there was a car in the area, they would have said tracks or whatever, and then locked up on CCTV or whatever, wouldn't they? Yeah. Now, if they're just out hiking, there's nowhere to trace them. So by updating it, you have to isolate yeah. the origin. So I, I quite liked that. Because he never spells out why he's done that. He never says, I had them hiking because, you know, CCTV and all surveillance and stuff nowadays. So he's not doing a John Byrne. No, but I just thought that was quite interesting. There's no car, there's no license plate. These two people are hiking, so presumably no one knows they were there. Jonathan and Martha just said, should we go out for a walk in the woods today? Yeah, yeah. okay. Pack a lunch. When we get to the top, we'll have a meal. So nobody knows. <laughs> we'll come back with a child. And we'll come back with a baby, yeah. I mean, I don't know how they explained it, but... Well, they do, don't they? They have the, the sister. Oh, yes, they do. They explain it with the sister thing, don't they? Which is quite good. Um, as we go through the boot, see, having him hover above Jonathan's grave... I didn't mind that. Do you know? Because, well, there's that whole thing where, you know, you're walking on someone's grave. Mm. All right. So he's talking to his dad, but he's sitting... But he's up. not on the grave. All right, fair enough. The bullying scene is, again, in Man of Steel. Mm. Or similar version of it is in Man of Steel. I like that he's wearing a Punisher t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. That, that did amuse me. <laughs> uh, speaking of ages, Major Lee looked familiar, but I couldn't quite place who the actress was that he was using as photo reference. Right. But she looked familiar to me. She still looks familiar. Do you know who she reminds me of? Okay. She reminds me of the girl who's ended up playing Sharon Carter in Captain America. Oh, Prior yeah, to yeah. this, she was in um, Everwood, and she was in Revenge. Mm. So it's possible that he... Do you not think facially? Yeah, I see where you come from. She looks a bit like that. Either way, the point that I'm trying to make is she establishes she's been part of the investigation from the beginning. So That was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, right? She looks like the youngest major to ever be in the US Army. Yeah. She's not drawn to be more than 25 herself. Mm. It's like there is a, a very much a CW approach to this in that no one's allowed to be over 30 apart from one character. Right. In this case, Perry White. Yeah. Everyone has to be young and pretty. And, you know, I have a problem with that as somebody who's now farter. Right, okay. Well, it's a problem with the whole fresh, younger audience thing, isn't it? I will, are you but, saying... But that, by saying, 
lines such as I've been on this for 20 years you're then drawing attention to it and showing the problem that she that. should clearly be at least 45 well for her to look that age fine but for her to look like that and then say I've been working 20 years yeah are you saying though that you can't watch and enjoy stuff that doesn't have 20 year olds in it no I can because I'm not so I'm why not. do producers think that you can't well this is different than that isn't it why because it's a fresh new take for a younger audience. That's what it's set out to be. Yeah, but you can do a, a, an audi- a new take for an audience whilst acknowledging that people do age past 21. You mean this isn't Logan's Run? No, it isn't Logan's Run. And the whole point of the Logan's CW Run... The live in a Logan's Run yeah, world. Yeah, the CW think that Logan's Run works after 35 or however old you were in Logan's Run. Was it 30? Yeah. You, you crystal in your hands. Oh, hey guys, have you Lord. seen this new documentary? <laughs> I think Logan's run is. Hang on, why does he look different in the TV show? <laughs> oh dear God. I, I haven't read this since it first came out, I'll be honest with you. And neither have I. But it, I thought it held up quite well. Like I say, it's very Man of Steel. There's a first contact story. There's destruction on an epic level. Yeah. But it's not brushed off like it is sometimes in comics like when we covered Superman Spider-Man where Lex had that big bounce that tromped oh, yeah, all yeah. over Metropolis never got mentioned again it's comics yeah but it's comic. but this is you know Superman that people don't necessarily trust even though he saved the world there's an awful lot of this that they mind for Man of Steel and this is some Independence Day type stuff yeah then we get the Independence Day stuff of V yeah. Where all the, the ships show up at uh, various different landmarks around the world. So we get to check them off. Do they blow up the Colosseum in Rome? Check. <laughs> How do, do we know where we are? Yeah, do we blow up Big Ben in London? Check. <laughs> it's just, it is, it's, that is just so cliched now. Yeah. Do you know what I want them to do? I want aliens to invade the planet and just arrive over water, <laughs> given that it's 70% of the Earth's surface. Yeah. Just arrive over the seas. And then say, right, we're going to boil your oceans if you don't turn over to us. That would screw us more than... Yeah, so, yeah. That, would, that would blow us up more than destroying a couple of buildings. That's true, yeah. Well, I, do you not think that the, the bad guys and the fighting starts a bit too early in this? We've had no character development. Yeah, we have. We've had that the Clark feels alienated and alone. Right, of course. Uh, apart from that, though... Yeah. The fighting starts off too soon. There is more development in the sequel than there is in the first. Well, see, that's that's my point with it. When I first read this isolated, I wasn't that big a fan of it. After I'd read the two follow-ups, I became retroactively a bigger fan of this. Mm. Because you can actually see that this really is setting up what he will do with it down the line. And I actually became a big fan of that. I actually thought, oh, right, I see what he's done. Right. Very clever. So, retroactively, I now like this a lot more than I did. And I like it much more than the Batman one. Okay. Which is going to be a point of contention between the two of us I, I just, when we get there. Well, this... They should all be treated as though they were single stories. Yeah, well, did you and, not think they are? No. I think this Because, works. again, there's more development in the second one. Cause there is. My favourite part about the second one is the bit with the cat. I really like that bit. That was sweet. But the, the point but, I'm trying to make is the first one is Independence Day. It is, in, but it, it's still... I think if you're going to do a fresh new take on a character, you should at least know what that take is before the action starts. Uh, I don't disagree with you. I just think that as a balls-out action introduction to Superman... This worked in the same way that I came to appreciate what Man of Steel was trying to do 
after the fact. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That that goodwill was kind of undone by Dodge. Dodge. Dawn of Justice. Right, okay. But <laughs> Dodge. I got to appreciate what they were doing with Man of Steel after I watched it a couple of times and went, oh, right, I see what they're doing here. This is potentially interesting. They can go in any number of directions from here now. Hmm. And that's where I'm at with this. Yes, it's Independence Day with Superman in it, or Superman Andreas, if right. you want to call it something like that. It's a disaster alien invasion first contact movie with Superman in it. But where they leave it at the end of it leaves it wide open for where they can go from here. And there is character development in taking a character who feels alienated, who then finds his place in the world. That's a story. Yeah. But I do think that with it being the first look on this new take, I I would have been more than happy for this to just be Clark Kent, for this to be Smallville, Mm. of him finding out and becoming Superman. Yeah, I would have been bored crapless yeah, by that. But I do think it just happens too fast. Well, see, sometimes that's the point, isn't well, it? Sometimes I mean, this, events happen and you have no control yeah, over them. At the same time, this is like it's this attack that makes him become who he is. It forces him. Yeah, to it come forces out. him to accept his death. Because this is what makes him pick up his costume that's just been thrown in his closet yeah. for the past few pages. There is that. Well, that does bring me to something about the costume. We're back to it being the blankets, designed by Mar and Park End. The S was designed by Jonathan, who comes up with the name Superman. For what reason? That he has to be a Superman, which I I didn't like. Why did she even make him the costume? I, I don't know. It seems like Straczynski got too caught up in having to be different that it didn't work as well as it being oh well, my planet comes from hope or the house of L or whatever any, anything yeah. I mean, just I, being you're a super man I mean I get going back to the original golden and silver age element of it that the parents made in the suit because in the original I think I'm right in saying again Bob Fish would know this better than I would but in the original comics they made him the suit because it was the only thing he could wear that didn't break or yeah. rip or whatever so that's why they made him the suit originally and then they, they kind of redesigned it slightly for him to be Superman I mean he still had the S and yeah. all well, that I'm, I'm fine with them, with them making the costume it's just the S no, well, I and that it doesn't stand for anything it, other than well, that, super that's my point with it as well at the point that they make the costume in this they're making it because you know we're, we're, we're designing something that is bright and hopeful that something that you can stand for but he, d- he hasn't made this decision yet yeah so in terms of this story they've made him a costume and an S and they're giving him the name Superman for no reason mm. in Man of Steel the reboot the John Byrne reboot he was given the name Superman by Lois that's what it is and then Jonathan it, it? designed the S and that was the first time it, the first time it happened was in Superman the movie right and then the comics yeah, but adopted it, it that stuck. Yeah. but it stuck because it makes sense yeah and then the S came after that because he called him Superman so I've designed this fancy S for you okay fine mm. in the film the S is the the L family crest yeah. which again okay I mean everybody seems to wear a crest mm. on the chest so that's fine it doesn't quite explain the suit in the movie because no one else quite dresses like Superman yeah. on Krypton everyone's saying why is his suit not white <laughs> in Superman the movie but anyway but the the, pr- the point is there he's given the name by somebody else mm. in this version of the story like Lois and Clark 
he he needs something to detract from people seeing who he is so he can go and rescue the space plane. So his mum comes up with the suit and the name of whatever. But there is a definite reason for coming up with the suit. Yeah. Whereas in this, she makes him a suit for what reason? Well, the thing with the... I like the, the House of L S thing because mm. that's Superman's representing his Kryptonian heritage. Yeah. And by taking that away, it's taken away the Kryptonian elements from this... But by but by then turning that S into Superman, it represents who he is as a person and an individual as well. Yeah. So it works both ways. So... But I do I, think it's lost. It's lost something. There yeah. is no real reason in this version of the story for him to wear the suit at all. Other than the sake of being different. Or, yeah. Or trying to protect who he is. But why is he trying to protect who he is when he didn't bother with that at the beginning? Mm. When he was showing people that he can play football and how amazingly smart he is. Mm. So there was, there was little things about it that I didn't felt quite added up. What did you think of the idea that Krypton's destruction wasn't an accident? I didn't mind that. I didn't mind that. I mean, because he actually has a line of dialogue in the thing. Do you think planets just explode? Yeah. So there was a part of me that thought that was was quite interesting. And obviously that's set up for the future. That's clearly set up for a future story. Well, I I liked it in the context of this because it's the villain who's coming after him. It's a new villain Hmm. and it gives him a reason to be coming after Superman. Yes. Yes, it does. That's very true. The crow. Yeah, well, you you got that. Uh, I love that we're being invaded by. I said we're being invaded by Gene Simmons and Kiss. Yeah. You said why we're being attacked by the crew. Both of them are valid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if somebody walks out behind him with a cat face, I think we'll know which side of the argument they fall down on. Yeah. But yeah, he, he is. Maybe that's why they didn't do that makeup for Man of Steel. You could say he looks hotter than hell. Oh, oh. very very good. Uh, I. I <laughs> Kind of, sort of, almost like the redesign of the costume. It's fine enough. Yeah, I mean, I like the the wider, the yellow trim around the ass. I thought Which, yeah. that was quite an interesting design choice because it makes it pop. And uh, the, the even though the actual S keeps changing size. Yeah, depending on when he draws. But it. that's that's the bit I meant before. That's boring. What the first panel the of first, Superman? It's a full-on splash page of him just walking, walking through the earth. Yeah. And Alan Jones is singing in the background. Yeah, it's. Do you see what I mean? Though it's good, but it's boring. Yeah, it, you're expecting. It would have been actually better to go straight from the S to him swooping down and skipping that page and him landing. Yeah. Granted, I don't see why he's landing with the red eyes glowing. Because mm. the splash page, it should add something to it—a sense of grandeur mm. for the character. But if it's only going to detract from the super in Superman then it should just be left out completely yeah I didn't I didn't like the redesign of the boots either I, I, I do like it all I don't mind I, I think the belt looks a bit too thick it's, this is what the current costume should look like yeah it's a perfect modern redesign darker colours and it's got the trunks hmm. it's, it doesn't change it, it well, changes but it doesn't take well, away it's like if Scott Gardner said without the trunks he's Ultraman yeah okay so he's the bad guy yeah. instantly so it's, I like it better than I like the new 52 one. For the very least, he doesn't have them 17-year-old girl cuffs. <laughs> he doesn't have that. Long sleeves that he's cut a thumb hole Yeah, through. so he can just be all mopey while he listens to Green Day. But the boots, I'd just get rid of that wide trim at the top of the boots. Mm. And just have them come up to a little bit higher. Maybe under the knee or something. But yeah, it would have been much better to just skip that page and just have, it, have him flying in. Yeah. In the next panel, I think that would have made more sense. 
I, I, I'd quite like the redesign as well of the yellow S on the back having been an inverse of the S on his chest. Was that a, a Lewis and Clark thing? Lois and Clark. No, he just had a solid yellow S in Lois and Clark. Right, okay. And in Superman, under the Christopher E. Superman movies. Right. Although most people just even forget that he has an S on his yeah on his back, don't they? Mm. They kind of they tend to forget that. I like the S on the cape. It's kind of like Spider-Man's spider on the back. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not married to it. I don't mind if it's there. I don't mind if it's, it is there. I think Batman should have a big yellow bat on his cape. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. I, I don't mind it. I, you know, it's not a deal breaker or anything. Yeah, I don't care if it's there and I don't care if it's not though. The yellow drum bothered. around the S—that's kind of. Didn't he have that in the Golden Age stuff? Uh, well, he went through so many little redesigns yeah. in the early days. I know he settled on it. Definitely had it in New Frontier. Yeah, but it, it's kind of a cool Golden Agey type look. Yeah, I don't mind that. I don't mind the yellow trim around the whole thing. I think that's pretty good. I, I think the story structured. Quite well. You don't dis- you don't agree with that, do you? I mm. think there are a number of setups and payoffs as you go through this one volume. Yeah, I think it w- I think it would be structured better if this was just another Superman story and yeah. not an origin. Mm. But we get a, a reference to um, Action Comics one there on the last page. Do we? Yeah, do you notice it? Oh yeah. Yeah, he's lifting up the digger truck in the same manner that he lifts up yeah. the car on the cover of Action Comics. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I didn't notice that first time. But yeah, well spotted. See, I don't want to give the impression we didn't like this, because I did like this. Mm-hmm. I liked it quite a lot. But it is far less problematic when you've read the next two volumes. Now when you read the second one. See, I did want to read the third one, but I genuinely couldn't be bothered. <laughs> well, I couldn't I've, be bothered because... I've had to read... You've not five, had to. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five Earth Ones in a couple of days. Well, you've not had to. I've enjoyed it, but it gets a bit weird when you've read so much of it. Mm. See, maybe you should have just read Superman this week and Batman and... I should have. Okay. I already read what we're covering tonight. But I do think it, it works better when you've read the sequels and you can see where he's going with it. Right. And what he's doing with it. And that made it work better for me, retroactively. I kind of disagree with that when you're writing trades. Hmm. Well, but I don't agree with you that it doesn't work on its own. I think it does. As a balls-out science fiction... But you're saying it works better with the others. Yeah, once you've read the others, you kind of see what he was doing here mm. to set up the other ones. But this works without the other ones. Or I think it does. It works, but I wouldn't... I, I just have problems with it. Hmm. I, it could just be me with the problems. I'm willing to accept that. Yeah, I mean... I mean, it does... It doesn't really change that much. The destruction of Krypton being deliberate is the main change to the origin, I think. Yeah. And he brings back a lot of the Silver Age, Golden Age stuff that I don't think he needed to. Mm. Like, having the costume beforehand, because suddenly there's... In the Golden Age, you put on a costume and you fought crown, because that's what you did in comics at that time. Nowadays, we kind of expect a better reason Mm. for you to put on the costume. Because you've got to kind of justify it to us at this point. It's like, well, why would you dress like that? He's yeah. Superman. He could wear a t-shirt and jeans. And we'd probably still accept him. Mm. So you which kind of... Which was what they were looking at which is action, what, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So you kind of do have to justify the costume a little bit more nowadays mm. than you did, perhaps, in the past. All the major beats in this would be used in Man of Steel, complete with destruction, distrusting military, ambivalent populace, Superman doesn't really know what he's doing. I think it works better here, because this Clark Kent is 20, 
as opposed to the 33 of Man of Steel. Who so already like, knows who he is. Well, he kind of didn't, did he? I suppose. So, like, he'd, he'd been wandering aimlessly for 33 years at that point. I think it works with a younger Clark, because then it's a coming-of-age story. Yeah. There, there is an element of marvolution mm. Of marvolution. Of making it more Marvel than perhaps DC. But I do think that Marvel of Le- Marvel, sorry, DC have leaned towards making a lot of their characters more Peter Parker-like. Yeah. Over many, many years. I think it's, it's really started with Teen Titans in 1980. And you can follow the evolution of that. This is a DC book, but it's really a Marvel book. Mm. From there. So now we're at that point, you know. I actually thought it was a pretty good start. I really did. It, I did think that DC undercut this by doing the New 52. Yeah. I think they kind of rendered the reason for this even existing moot before it really got a chance to get going. Mm. But I, I, I liked it. I thought it was a pretty good start to a modern 21st century updating of the legend. There are still some things that we gloss over. Like, no one has ever come up with a better explanation for the costume than the first episode of Lois and Clark. Right. Well, no one's going to be looking at your face. Yeah. And it's Dean Cain's mom that really sells it. Like, he's mm. just embarrassed that his mum's just said that about him. So that that's... I, I always liked that. I thought that was really good. Because there's no real reason for Martha to make it in at all he haven't decided what to do with himself when she makes that costume Mm. and how big does does she know how big he's going to grow up to be does it stretch to fit (laughs) is that how it works I I don't know so it it didn't really make much sense likewise the name Superman this has never been better than the the movie where Lois goes what a Superman and that gives him a name it doesn't really jibe with this version of Clark how, uh, even calling himself Superman because it's certainly what he feels like and having Jonathan name him Superman before he's even Superman yeah, really didn't make any sense to me but that's something a lot of writers struggle with you want to have your first appearance him be Superman mm. but you also have to have a reason for him to be called Superman which is why I think Superman the movie got it right he's got the costume but he doesn't have the name but he doesn't have a name what would he have done would he have introduced if he'd been given the opportunity would he have introduced himself as Kal-El yeah. Because he probably wouldn't have said how Clark Kent, would he? Mm. But he never got the chance and Lois names him Superman and that sticks. Isn't that become a thing for superheroes or with the newspapers? The newspaper, them? yeah, well, the, the Spider-Man movie nicked that a lot, didn't they? He named yeah. him Dr. Octopus. He named him the Green Goblin and, and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's a better start than the New 52. Mm. In the sense that it's one cohesive story with one writer who knows where he's going. Like I said at the top of the show, Grant Morrison knew what he was doing and where he was going but yeah. he didn't want to tell anyone else well see I, I, I kind of disagree a little bit because I would say the problem with the new 52 is the sales and the change of creative teams hmm. say uh, George Perez did the first batch of Superman stories did he only know he was doing six or did he plan to do more later on I think he planned to do more but got fed up of editorial interference but he has said that the editor's not been able to tell him where Superman was going to end up when Morrison had finished yeah. with him was part of the problem. So I do think the best thing about the Earth One thing is it's one creative team per character. Yeah. Which is, say, Superman, it's, it, the creative teams and changes have hurt him as a character more than anyone else hmm. because of... Whereas, well, you look at Batman that had the same creative team for the entire New 52 run and it was the best-selling comic they had. Mm. What's the common denominator here? Well, yes, it's that Snyder and Capullo were doing good work. But it's that it was Snyder and Capullo. And they got left alone to do that good work. 
you know, when the new 52 started, it's, it's, and we're going to talk about this when we do Throne of Atlantis, but it seemed like a surefire hit, Jeff Johns and Jim Lee on Justice League, but it's the Batman boot that everyone went, whoa. Mm. And who, who was Scott Snyder before Batman? Yeah. See? So let a good creative team do a good job and see what happens. And with Superman, they didn't seem to have the confidence to do that mm. with anybody. So you ended up with that kind of revolving door of creative types. I mean, I think Greg Pak did quite a lot with it. Yeah. But I don't know how much he got interfered with. Creative people just seem a little bit scared of Superman as a character. Yeah, well, I think the problem that we have in the world at the minute is they don't know how to write a truly altruistic character. Mm. They can't relate to him. And we live in a world where you would be like, I wouldn't do that if I had those powers. Yeah. I'd go and sort out the problems of the world. And doesn't he do that in Volume 2 of this? He does, yeah. Doesn't he depose a dictator? Yeah. In Volume 3, that comes back to bite him on the ass. Um, yeah. So, I quite like that as well. But it's one of those things where Superman isn't what would you do with those powers. Superman is what should you be doing with those yeah, powers. Yeah, that's exactly the point. And lots of people just don't seem to be able to wrap their head around that. Mm. That you would do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And yet Marvel managed to make Captain America movies. Mm. Where he, he is exactly that. Yeah. So, it's an interesting interesting place that we find ourselves um I, I, this at least feels fully formed and thought out and the two other volumes have expanded on this and explored the groundwork that he laid down here but more and more I am starting to think that the origin of Superman is something you just have to get through yeah to get to the good stuff that is a very bad splash page uh, yeah the final shot of, of him dressed as Clark well he's not dressed as Clark Kent is he he's dressed as Q from the Daniel Craig Bond it's, movies. Yeah, it's a shirt, a tie, khakis, and a cardigan. Yeah. Yes. For a man with X-ray vision, he looks like he got dressed in the dark. <laughs> I'm 20 years old, and I wouldn't be seen dead in that. No. A shirt and a tie and a cardigan. Yes. Well, this is what an old man thinks a teenager dresses like. Well, that's my, yeah. <laughs> It's what I was saying to you the other day when I read this. My biggest problem in this is it's a, a fresh, young take on a younger Superman written by a middle-aged man. Yeah. Because the, the, some of the language in it, like, oh, that's two really high-resolution photos on my camera and they're all 20 gigabytes and they're crashing the system. <laughs> and it's, it does read like it's being written by a middle-aged man who doesn't quite understand oh, a 20-year-old Superman. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. Though. And I'm, tr- I'm trying to say this without sounding like a, you just don't understand because you're old, Dad. It's, such a, it's not a phase. It's my lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I'm, but I'm your, tr- your, your lifestyle isn't to wear low-slung khaki pants and a tie and a shirt and an ill-fitting cardigan. I, I wear a cardigan when it's winter and I'm in my pyjamas. I never leave the house in it. No, I, I, if you were making a 20-year-old Clark Kent, I'd just dress him like you. He would have a, a wide array of band t-shirts just like you do. And I would actually copy your bands, because you're actually 20. Yeah. So it would actually look like I knew what I was doing. And was cool. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't disagree though about the way they've got Clark dressing. It's like... He looks like Moss from the IT crowd. Yeah. <laughs> And that's not a look that you it's want for, for somebody who's supposed to be young and hip, yeah. is it? I do like the bit on the end, the the Daily Planet scene, only because I didn't like it until I read the second one. Mm. When it was, hang on, so this nobody has like, got on a job with an interview with Superman, mm. and that's got him the job. 
But then later on in Volume 2, Lois Lane catches on that he's more than he seems to be because he's a nobody who's got an interview with Superman. Yeah. I like... I, I genuinely... I like that he's got a fortress of solitude as well. Yeah. Under the... What, is he under the water, though? Yeah, because right. he flies under the ice. Yeah. Which is... Um, that's a nod to the animated series, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. He had to fly under the water to oh, get to right. the Fortress of Solitude in the animated series, which I thought was quite cool. But you're right, even the final splash page of him flying away from the Daily Planet building just... His face doesn't look anything like it's looked through the rest of the issue. Yeah. Novel, I suppose I should say. This is a proper graphic novel, isn't and it? And his S goes down to his belly. And his S goes down to his belly, whereas before it's been... It, it, it Shane Davis does draw the S all over the place. Yeah. I think it's fair to say. I like that at the back end he actually published the interview with him. Yeah. I quite like that. Because normally you only see bits of it, don't you? It does beg the question, morality-wise, is Clark doing something here that's immoral? Pretending that he's interviewed Superman. Yeah, because isn't this what Spider-Man learned not to do? Yeah. Well, eventually. Spider-Man would fake news photos, but he would argue, well, it did actually happen. Yeah. But, you know, Clark has, has faked an interview here. Yeah, and then lied to Perry's face by saying none of it's fake. Yeah, well, it isn't. What did, he, what did he do? Did he have a conversation with himself yeah. on a tape recorder and change his voice <laughs> so it sounded like it was two people? Yeah. What do you think? But I like that they publish it. Normally they, they shy away from the actual interview. Mm. Although it is, I, I was sat here going this, he's six foot tall, has blue eyes, and doesn't always tell us the truth. <laughs> so I thought that was quite amusing. Anyway, what did you think of that generally? I think I like that one more than you did. Yeah. I, it's, I, I appreciated what it was and what it was trying to be mm. and I think it was somewhat a success despite my problems with Straczynski writing young kids <laughs> but I think it successfully set out to do what it was going to do Yeah. even if I don't like it that much I prefer the second one well I, that's what I'm saying the second and third one build on it really but, well yeah my problem is they didn't quite get the origin right for me personally mm. but in the second one there is no origin it's, so you just it, get on with just it. another Superman story yeah. but that's what I was saying sometimes I think the origin you just got to get it out of the way yeah and move on with that and it's one of the things I think I'm looking forward to the new Spider-Man film that they're not going to bother with an origin because he's already he's already Spider-Man move on yeah and it's one of the things I think Tim Burton's Batman film did really well the origin played in the middle of the film rather than at the beginning. He was already Batman when the movie opened. Well, the best thing about Batman versus Superman is that... He's, he's already Batman. Batman. Yeah. we still got to see the origin twice, though. Yeah. In Batman versus Superman. That's true. <laughs> he's already Batman, but we'll relive this again. Yeah. And again. Because we have to see the Waynes dying. <laughs> we have to see the Waynes dying. Yes. I love the video of all the times Every time the Waynes have been killed. Yeah. I've, I've seen something I can't remember where it was where it was Uncle Ben going please don't kill me again and then behind him it's the Waynes going tell us about it <laughs> which is quite amusing anyway where Superman goes Batman surely follows and so it was here with Batman Earth 1 being announced by the creative team of Jeff Johns and Gary Frank on the face of it this seemed like a good deal Johns is DC's go to guy and seems to have his finger in every pie in the DCU although a turn on Batman has eluded him Frank's style can be seen as open Open and charming, but is capable of gritty, something very necessary in a Batman story. The problem with tackling Batman's beginnings, though, is you are in the shadow of year one, generally regarded to be an almost perfect Batman origin story and written by the untouchable Frank Miller. The problem is, how do you make it different enough to year one to justify its existence without being a year one pastiche? 
Jones has said, I jumped at the chance because I've never tackled the world of Batman. And to do a Batman universe from the ground up and create new characters and reintroduce villains how Gary Frank and I envisioned them was an opportunity I definitely didn't want to miss. Not only that, but I loved the idea of creating a series of graphic novels. Batman Earth 1, Volumes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. It will be great to do a huge Batman story through a series of graphic novels with a beginning, middle and end. This statement from Johns illustrated the intent, but also the problem with Batman Earth 1. Batman doesn't need fixing. Superman always seems to need fixing, but Batman has been pretty perfectly characterised since the 1970s. The question I asked myself with this series was, what's the point? Especially as Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo were doing this exact thing in the Batman books and doing it very well. Why did Earth 1 Batman even need to exist? Well, the reason, of course, is that Batman is a huge money well for DC, and there's no way they were going to launch something like this without having Batman involved. What do you think? What about whether it's it, it needed to exist? Yeah, does this? You've got year one, yeah. and Snyder has said that it took him so long to get to zero year because he was intimidated by following year one mm. that he didn't want to slavishly ape that, and he didn't. Yeah. He did a completely different Batman origin story while it still being the Batman origin story. Mm. But if you've got that. Why does this need to exist? Well, I think the question about it is not whether Batman Earth 1 should exist, but whether Earth 1 should exist. Hmm. Because you've got this... By doing Superman Earth 1, you've then created your own... Not imprint, yeah. but another line of these stories. So you can't have Superman, Teen Titans, Legion, Wonder Woman, and not have Batman. True. So, I, you know, Batman Earth 1 was necessary because... Well, they decided that they wanted to do an Earth One line, <laughs> and you can't do that, Batman. Exactly, yeah. All right, fair. That's a good enough reason to exist, I suppose. Mm. It did seem to me he was going out of his way to make this as different as possible, though. And I don't know. We always think that's a good idea. I thought it was less out of its way than Superman was. See, I didn't. I thought the Superman one was was all right. Well, we have pointed out a few plot holes in that because yeah. of them wanting to be different. Yeah, and. Well, unless you've pointed them out, I've not noticed any with Batman. Alright, okay. I think the problem... Well, yeah, we'll get into that later. Uh, the cover is Batman and Alfred in the rain in front of the Wayne's graves, because we never get bored of that. I'll be honest, it's quite... I'm dull! I'm not a fan of this, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is a little bit dull. Has he got a gun in his hand? Yeah, shotgun. Why has he got a shotgun in his hand to go and visit the graves of the Waynes? I... Is that not a bit insensitive? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Alfred! Think it through, man. Yeah. All right, Master Bruce. We're gonna go and visit your graves because I am now a cockney. But I'm gonna bring this big <laughs> shotgun. Uh, it's, it's kind of like the Bill Hicks thing, isn't it? You think the first thing Bruce Wayne wants to see is a necklace of a gun? <laughs> the first thing Bruce Wayne wants to see is his parents' grave is a gun. Oh, well done, bro. Well done, Alfred. Just, just thinking of Brucey. <laughs> Sensitive Alfred, though. As he always is. Uh, Batman's big-ass head is symbolically looming in the background. Um, <laughs> what, what am I thinking of? It's coming out of the ground and then the jaw lowers. Well, I'm thinking of some film, though, and I can't remember what that is. It's a big head that comes out of the ground and the jaw comes down. Right. I can't remember what it is. Anyway, um... It's not imaginative, uh, not as imaginative a cover as Superman. Batman Earth 1 has a story that nevertheless has similarities to Superman Earth 1, and it's told via present-day action and flashbacks for no real reason. Mm. Did you think the fact that there were flashbacks in this helped the story? Other than 
like Batman 89, it got to start with him already being Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, I've said. I did feel like the flashbacks were in here for the sake of structuring the story so that he opens as Batman. Which, alright, fine. Well, it, it, it works. Yeah, for ease of reference, I've made the synopsis linear because I'm a lazy get and I can't be bothered doing them. Then we went back in time and then we did that. I can't be asked. <laughs> yeah, I can't be bothered and all that crap. Uh, in the past, former SAS soldier Alfred Pennyworth arrives at Wayne Manor to organise security for Thomas Wayne, who is running for Moore. Thomas knows Alfred from having saved his life at some point in the past. Tonight is movie night, and over Alfred's objections, Thomas, his wife Martha, and their young son Bruce trek out to see Zorro. They are evacuated due to a power cut, and when young Bruce throws a strop and runs out of the theatre into an alleyway, the Waynes are shot dead. Alfred is named Legal Guardian of Bruce. In the present, a thoroughly inept Batman chases a crook through Gotham and nearly dies in the process. He's investigating a man named Jacob Weaver and Alfred is distraught that this is the path Bruce has chosen. Bruce explains that Weaver has his father's lighter and was one of the investigating officers in their deaths. He was promoted to working with the Murder directly afterwards. That's a little bit suspicious. In Gotham, Jim Gordon has a new partner, former host of Hollywood detectives Harvey Bullock. He too is looking into the deaths of the Waynes. He figures if he solves that decades-old cold case, he'll have it made. He immediately starts making waves and Gordon orders him to back off, lest there be another accident. After Bruce has tech genius Lucius Fox repair his gadgets, he makes an appearance at Mayor Cobblepot's celebration of Gotham's 300th birthday. The Waynes and the Arkhams built Gotham, and Bruce and Martha's marriage was a significant landmark in Gotham history. Cobblepot is as warped as a water-damaged record and keeps people in line by feeding their children so to a sadistic serial rapist known as the Birthday Boy. Batman decides to confront Weaver at the party and makes an even bigger hash of it than he did at the beginning, smashing through the skylights not in a traditional cool Batman fashion, but because he's a little bit crap. Alfred has to save his ass. Cobblepot feels Weaver is a liability as this Batman targeted him directly and he orders him killed. Bullock, meanwhile, doesn't let it go and checks out the records of the Wayne murder under Gordon's name, a stupid move that results in Detective Gordon's daughter being kidnapped by Cobblepot and the birthday boy. Batman tracks the birthday boy down to the condemned Arkham building where bad stuff previously went down. Gordon and Bullock also track him there and Batman needs saving by Gordon because he attacks birthday boy and cocks that up as well. Batman manages to get his second wind and through a lot of luck and some judgement manages to take the birthday boy out with his cape. However, the many dead girls in the basement sours the victory. Batman confronts Cobblepot but makes such a mess of it that Cobblepot, yes, Oswald Chesterfield Cobblepot, beats Batman in a fight and unmasks him. Alfred has to save him again and blows Cobblepot away. In the immediate aftermath, Jessica Dent sister of Harvey is sworn in as the new Murr. Gordon announces there will be changes in the police department but it's all too much for Bullock who hits the bottle. In the manor, Bruce and Alfred decide they need to build a better Batman. They certainly bloody do because he's crap in this story. He is but I really like this introduction. What were he fouls yeah. it all? So you've got that great splash page which is what the splash page of Superman should have been. Of a shadowy Batman running uh, yeah. across steamy rooftop. And then you've got that panel, and this is storytelling done right. Okay. The last panel on that page is them pulling out the grappling hook. Yeah. You turn over the page, and it's a hey, panel of it cocking up. It blows up in his hand. Yeah, that's panel layout and storytelling done right. 
you then have the you then have the last panel of the next page him jumping over the building mm. turn over the page and misses yeah <laughs> which is perfectly I'm not arguing with you that structurally and storytelling yeah. wise it's good but perfectly it's one of those ways where it's questioning what you think Batman is you go into this with this preconception that Batman is a badass and is capable of everything yet you turn over the page and he cocks up it's like oh right it's funny his grappling hook messes up turn over the next page he falls you know and however far he falls yeah lands in the trash and it's it's it quit twice you've quest it's made you question who is this Batman it's made you doubt your own preconceptions of the character it has and all of that is exceptionally well argued yeah my problem is I don't want to see Batman not looking cool or threatening or intimidating. He looks like a bad cosplayer. Well, which that... plays into what you're saying. Yeah. And it is that different take on Batman like the younger Clark Kent. And I know I criticise you for saying Volume 2 and 3 Superman make the first one better. <laughs> but this scene is mirrored in the opening to the second one. And it's, it's that satisfying moment of him getting it right. So over the five volumes, eventually he's going to become a cool Batman. Well, he is that at the end of the second one, isn't he? Rather than the inept Batman that he is. I don't know, I remember disliking the second one of these. Did you? Yeah. I See, without, without giving too much away, the Batman ones were my favourite of the three. Oh, alright, okay, fair enough. Because your argument of the was very passionate and, and involved, and I, I get exactly what you're saying. <laughs> and you're not wrong mm. in terms of the layout and turning the pages and, and being smacked in the face by not what you were expecting. Yeah. Yes, I agree with you. I don't kind of think I'd want... It's like the James Bond thing. I don't mind Casino Royale. But after Casino Royale, I want the cool guy in the tuxedo who can drink all night and it not affect his shot. Right. Who drives cool cars beds gorgeous women and can learn to use any gadget without actually reading the instruction manual. But what's the point of having this new line of different takes on characters if they're just going to do what you want to read? It's an exceptionally good point. It's, so it is kind of challenging the idea that I want my Batman to be cool and I want yeah. him to know what he's doing and I don't want to see him get there. But you were saying before that this... Batman Earth 1 shouldn't be relevant because there are already these different takes, so it would be even more irrelevant if it was just the cool Batman you want to read. Because he wasn't the cool Batman in Batman Year 1. Yeah. He did kind of cock up the until like issue number 3 where he started getting it right. Mm. But I just felt he was too inept throughout this. Do you know what I'm, I kind of... I could have bought the opening if by the end of the comic... Yeah. The comic, the, this actual novel, he'd got better mm. but he hasn't by the end of this he's just as inept as he is at the beginning of it he fouls up the birthday boy investigation completely yeah. he fouls up confronting Cobblepot completely mm. he only survives this because of Alfred yeah and it's it's kind of like I'd have bought the beginning more if by the end he'd have saved himself and done something better for Gotham than he did. Mm. Now, you can argue that he inspires Commissioner... Not Commissioner. Detective Gordon... Yeah. ...to change his ways by the end of it. And he's inspired Barbara Gordon mm. to design her own bat outfit. But I was left wondering exactly how he'd manage that when he was... Yeah. 
Well, I don't want to keep coming back to this, but in the second... <laughs> No, because I, I don't want to, because I criticise you for doing it with well, Superman. Well, no, but my argument with the Superman was, let's take that out of the equation, I felt the first one worked on its own, but when you got to the second ones, you got a better appreciation of what Straczynski was doing. I don't necessarily think that the second and third ones... that The first one, sorry, relies on the second and third one. I think the second and third one retroactively give you a clue to what was going on better in the first one, but the first one still held up. I'd say this holds up. I mean, I know Batman is incompetent. Exceptionally. And Bruce is responsible for his parents' deaths. I didn't like that bit, actually. Yeah. Him being a brat and then running out and then them getting shot. Because he's indirectly responsible for their deaths, though. But then I did like the end where it said, oh, we had this all set up and planned, but then... But you cocked it up. Yeah. If you hadn't taken out, they'd have been killed anyway. Yeah. But you, being a brat... Yeah. That's, I just know that more than anything, that's DC trying to do Marvel. That's Spider-Man, yeah, being responsible for the death of Uncle Ben, and it's Marvel's characters that trip over their own feet and end up in the trash, mm. not Batman. And I think that's that's Batman's a huge suspension of disbelief anyway. Yeah. I, you and I have discussed many times on this show before he is the character that requires the largest suspension of disbelief of all of them he's not everyone goes well he's, poor, he's great because he's just a normal man the fact that he can do all this stuff and be a normal yeah. man requires you to buy into the concept much greater than Spider-Man or Superman or whatever where they've got superpowers that help them do what they're doing mm. you as a normal man would be like there's no way he could do that he'd rip his arms out of his socket yeah. there's no way he, so the suspension of disbelief with Batman is greater than any other character and by drawing attention to how crap he is you you take that suspension of disbelief and you kind of snap it like a twig yeah but there's from the storytelling point of view and the character growth kind of thing you know you have to start somewhere I guess you can't have Batman be great at the beginning because then where do you go from there the, the see, and again I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying which is why our arguments are always cool. Yeah. I, I, I think, We're just saying the same thing, but differently. Yeah, I, I think he's too inept throughout the entire story. He doesn't save the day at the end of the issue. Alfred does. Mm. And that kind of justifies everything that Alfred is saying throughout the story. You're not ready. You shouldn't be doing this. So when you get to the end, I kind of wanted him to prove Alfred wrong and that be the impetus for Alfred saying, well, all right, if you're going to do this, we need to build a better Batman. Yeah. Whereas the reasoning for building a better Batman at the end of this volume is that he's crap. Yeah. But it's it's also that kind of heavy look at why he needs Alfred. Yes. Alfred will always be there to patch him up. Well, in this, Alfred's always there to shoot the what targets he misses. <laughs> yeah, in this one, Alfred's the one who'll put a gun to their face and yeah. shoot them. Whereas Bruce won't cross that line. Because mm. Alfred actually has a scene in the thing, doesn't he? Where he says, you need a gun. Yeah. And, and Batman's like, no, I'm not going to touch him. And Alfred's like, you're a moron. Yeah. I mean, I did like Alfred in this. I did like the reinvention of him as an SAS tough guy. Mm. Who you get the impression only came out of the arm because of whatever injury it was he sustained. Because he walks with a cane, and it's it's stated that Thomas Wayne saved his life. Yeah. So whatever happened probably forced him out of the SAS. And so Alfred is now working security for Thomas, and he fouls that up. Because mm. why did he not go with them then? 
that was a huge plot thing for me. Mm. If Thomas is insisting on going to the cinema for everything to be normal this one last night and Alfred's protesting no, no, no why did Alfred not say alright, you can can go Master Bruce but I'm coming with why did that not happen? Mm. so this is just as much on Alfred's head for letting them go which is a Marvel version of the character Yeah, they're both responsible for the Wayne's death and I, I kind of have a problem with that in that I think the Wayne's death should be just a random thing that's yeah. the appeal of Batman's origin. That could happen to anybody. Yeah. You're not going to be bitten by a radioactive spider. You're not going to find out tomorrow you were rocketed from an alien planet and have superpowers. Mm. But me and your mum could have been shot dead in an alleyway. Yeah. And it's it's that's the personification of what repre- what Gotham represents as well. Yes. So the fact that both Alfred and Bruce have some measure of responsibility for the Wayne's death just didn't sit well with me. And I also, I didn't think Alfred had much of a personality. In this? Yeah. I, I kind of felt he was there to be uh, Lee Ermit in Full Metal Jacket. Right. He's yeah. just there to keep yelling at Bruce for being crap. He's a drill sergeant. Yeah. When they get it right, Bruce and Alfred's relationship is one of the best in comics. Mm. Isn't it? It's, it's the slightly intolerant father of his son being generally sarcastic but they love each other yeah. and when Bruce is sarky back to Alfred that's when their relationship really works no it's when Alfred is sarky back to Bruce um, well both ways yeah. when they both know each other is kind of just joshing with each other Yeah. but there's mutual respect and love there because Alfred essentially raised him mm. that's when I think it's, it's at it's best I mean, his sarcasm and humour can be overdone, but when it's handled correctly, it's a source of humour in a Batman story where Batman traditionally, well, since, you know, the 80s anyway, doesn't really have much humour in it. Mm. And that's essentially what Alfred's there for, but without being comic relief. Yeah. And I don't think they go quite far enough with Alfred being funny in this issue. This is a... This this issue's grim. Yeah. I mean, people say that the Christopher Nolan Batman movies are grim. This is grimmer than all three of them. Mm. And it's how grim is too grim. I think this is grim enough that it works. Because, I mean, Dark Knight Rises, let's be honest, these Earth One titles are Mm. movies in the form of comics. Yeah. But, so the Dark Knight Rises was... It got too caught up in how grim it wanted to be. It got silly. Yeah. But this is a perfect level of grim for a modern Batman comic. I think that Gotham Gotham is as grim as it needs to be. Mm. I felt Cobblepot crossed the line. Yeah. I needed a shower after reading Cobblepot's bits. Yeah. And I, I didn't like that the Mur was the Penguin. Well, because then, that to me, that seemed like he's the Penguin for the sake of having the Penguin in this. Yeah, and what is it What is it with making the, the Penguin Murr? There's a 1967 episode of Batman, His Honour the Penguin, where he runs for Murr. Yeah. And what's the subplot of Batman Returns? Him running for Murr? Yeah. yeah. What is it about making Cobblepot Murr? Yeah. I don't, I just don't get that. I just, I just don't like it because it seemed like it was just for the sake of having the penguin in it. Yeah. The same reason I didn't like it being Martha Arkham. Unless that was a thing before, but I thought she was a cane. Yeah, you're actually, you're right. I, I don't remember Martha being an Arkham before. Oh, I wonder, if, was that established in a Legends of the Dark Knight? 
Because I know she's a Cain in the Snyder stuff. Because they unite. The marriage of... The, the Wayne-Cain marriage was what united Wayne Industries and Cain mm. Chemicals. I'm going to look it up. No, yeah, Martha Wayne, nay, Martha Kane. So in the original comics, yeah. So he's tied them together into Ar- the Arkhams and the Waynes being the builders of the city. Right, okay. So that's something that's, that apparently was invented for this. Because on, on the wonderful Wikipedia, it comes under other versions. Martha's maiden name was Arkham. Mm. Right, okay, so that's straight from this. So you weren't a fan of that. No. It ties everything together too neatly, doesn't it? Yeah. But Jeff Jeff John seems quite big on that. Tying everything together in such a way that it's too neat. I suppose, yeah. There, there should be life has rough edges yeah. and loose ends. And occasionally I don't mind my stories having that. I don't there doesn't need to be a link between Arkham and Wayne. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one. What do you think of Harvey Bellock being Kevin Spacey from LA Confidential? I loved Harvey Bullock in this. I liked Harvey Bullock's story arc. Yeah, it was. Gr- yeah, I really like that. I I like that a lot. I like that Bullock's just an asshole. I like that he thinks the police work is exactly like it is in the movies, and Gordon's like you knob. Yeah, and I especially liked that he just didn't really think what he was doing when he had the Wayne murders checked out in Gordon's name. Mm. And Gordon is just completely beaten down by what Gotham is. But I liked as well his arc that we learn later on that he's not that because he's been beaten down. He's like that because his wife had an accident Mm. and he's protecting Barbara. But not just that. I really liked how uh, Bullock has this this wide-eyed... Idealistic. Naive look at everything. But it's that that inspires Gordon to be the cop he wants to be. Yeah. So the Bullet Gordon stuff was a really nice story. They were my favourite stories. They were my favourite bits. Yeah, they were my favourite bits in both of the volumes. So has this influenced Gotham? So we've not watched enough of Gotham to know. I think the Alfreds influenced the Gotham Alfred a bit. Yeah, Alfred in Gotham is very much this Alfred in a way. There's no way Donald Logue could be playing a Hollywood version of, of Harvey Bullock. Mm. Harvey, Donald Logue is playing the more conventional, schlubby version, isn't he? Yeah. So, I'd have to watch. There are people at work who love Gotham. And I do wonder, is it is it me not liking Gotham because I like the comics? I don't know. Is we, that we what We watched the pilot. I watched the pilot and that's it. I usually like my Easter eggs to have plot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was our problem with the pilot, wasn't it? It was yeah. Easter eggs pretending to be a story. Yeah. Maybe it got better as it went along. Mm. It's all on Netflix, so maybe we should check out a few random episodes and yeah. and see what we think at some point when I'm on holiday. Um, a Cobblepot was nicely characterised, where he's, he's talking to Bruce, and thank you, Mr. Cobblepot. Everything you need to know about this character is in the line, it's Mer Cobblepot. Yeah. He's an arrogant wanker. He's a politician. <laughs> in many ways so that was good mm. so there's, there is lots to like in it I just felt dirty after reading it and when Batman goes up to get the lighter off um, the guy that he's following whose name's temporarily escaped me he just looks he's an ass yeah he's well, no good at this there's a certain I, I could be completely reading into this in the wrong way mm. but say in your films yeah. And in your games, it's all loud and heavy. And that's not what Batman is. No, he isn't. But I liked this in that, despite him being incompetent, this is showing you what that Batman would be like. What, is... what the obnoxious, loud version of Batman would yeah. be, rather than the stealthy guy. Yeah. I would say that that's a good 
theory, but, and I know this Bruce Wayne has apparently never left Gotham. Right. Am I yeah. right, though? So he's never gone and trained under the Maharaja, mm. and he's never gone to Tibet and studied with the Masters, and he's yeah. never met the League of Shadows. So he's a Batman, so where has he learned anything? Alfred. Re- Alfred wouldn't do this bad of a job, would he? No, but that's... that's- wouldn't Alfred more likely to teach him to be Paul Kersey from the Death Wish movies mm. rather than this? Rather, I mean, I get what Johns is going for, but it, 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 I don't think I honestly don't think this Batman would have lasted in this book. He wouldn't have survived to the end of it. He's that bad. I kind of wanted him to be. I don't mind him cocking up and the tech letting him down. Yeah, that's good. But I kind of want him to be a little bit better than he is here. Because how would he build up his reputation of being feared and dread after this? Too many people have seen him be crap. Yeah. So where does he become the dread Batman? The dread figure of the night when everyone's knocked him out with a brick? Hmm. You know? I mean, is he going to get blamed for the death of Cobblepot? Yes. Is that in volume two? Yeah. Right, I forget that. All right, okay. Which which makes sense. Alfred encourages... Because that's how people will be scared of him. Yeah, because they think he's a killer. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. Because th- the first impressions do matter. And his first impression with the Gotham City Police Department is that he's childish and terrible. Mm. You know, the, the Gotham City Police Department shoot one of his ears off, one of his bat ears, and he falls off a building. Mm. And he's, he is more bothered about losing his dad's lighter, which is fair enough. Because yeah. that's the whole reason that he's there. But... His, in, his, his, his pure ineptness throughout the book is something that I just couldn't get past. There's a little bit of um, year one in that, escaping mm-hmm. from the police. But again, it's, it's his incompetence yeah. that allows him to escape. And I did, I did feel that this bumbling version of Batman actually undercut what Johns was trying to do. Mm. I was laughing at how bad he was in this otherwise gritty version of the Batman story. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Mm. It's like Adam West has been plopped into the middle of LA Confidential. Yeah. And I'm kind of suddenly not taking it seriously well, when I should be. I suppose if Jeff Johns is making you doubt whether Batman can beat this criminal organisation, then he's doing a good job of it. I suppose by making me just laugh at how crap he is. Mm. Alright, okay, fair enough. Bruce is remarkably handsome again a couple of days after getting beaten the crap out of by both Alfred and whoever. Yeah. Because he goes to that party and he, he looks remarkably good again. So, you know, it's fair enough. Um, we've already discussed that the Waynes were marked for death before they were killed by Cobblepot. Yeah. Which, again, I'm, I, I'm not comfortable with. Mm. But, you know... I like how Batman, the Batmobile, is just a, a car. Yeah, that's a nod. That's a callback to the Golden Age, isn't it? Yeah. Where it was just a standard car. See, look how remarkably clean first he is. Yeah. Um, when he's driving the Batmobile around. I like that he's actually doing some detective work. Mm. Not a lot of it, but well, I like... Well, there's a bit in the second one where Commissioner... Well, uh, Detective Gordon mm. calls him a crap detective because <laughs> he doesn't do anything. No. But then by the end of it, it's like, oh, you're an all right detective after all. Uh, so he's, he's basically learning his skills... 
on yeah. the job yeah. in this particular story, isn't he? He's an apprentice. Yeah. I wonder if he's on minimum wage. I do like the Gordon and Bullock stuff, though. Bad cop, the, bad the, cop. The two rogue maverick cops who have turned in the badges but have kept the gun. Well, I like that the rogue maverick cops in this one are the good guys. Yeah. Even though they're beating people up with crowbars. Hmm? Which is fair enough. But even in the climax, Batman does everything wrong. He doesn't go in with a plan at all. He blunders about without seemingly knowing anything about what he's doing. Now, again, I get what Johns is going for. The opposite of the omnipotent Batman. Mm. But this is kind of too far the other way. He's too stupid to survive this. Yeah. You know, when Oswald Chesterfield Cobblepot is beating you up. Mm. Because he doesn't look like much. Cobblepot, does he? I mean, he, he does take down the birthday boy after after getting the shit I think out of him. The, the birthday boy, though, is a villain. It was really... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be careful on how I word this. <laughs> it's a bit, it was a really cool... Not cool. Interesting setup to just a big, muscly, bulky guy. Yeah. Well, he, he's the bad guy's cobble pot. Yeah, but it was an interesting setup to a character who ultimately just became a punching bag. Yeah. And arguably a better puncher. Well, I think Batman becomes the punching bag. Yeah. To be brutally well, honest, it's, with you. it's the birthday boy who has the major ramifications on on Bullock. Bullock yeah. Yeah. And, well, and indirectly Cobblepot, because mm. Cobblepot's feeding these children to the birthday boy. Yeah. So he's every bit as as awful as as he was. Um, I didn't get why Gordon just didn't leave town. Mm. What ties has he got to Gotham City? Well, he's he's been inspired by Bullock to make it. A oh, better by place. the end, yeah. Well, why after his accident, his wife's accident? Why not just leave? He no. clearly doesn't want to be here. Mm. So why not just pack Barbara up and go? Don't. Oh, so that's stay in one it. place long enough and you become it. <laughs> well, yeah. All right, fair enough. This was a curious one. Mm. There was nothing wrong with this book. It's well written. The arts. Gary Frank's some of Gary Frank's best stuff in, it in really recent is, years, yeah. isn't it? Some of that's really good. There were some interesting, unusual choices in it. Mm. Like you said, the 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 beginning of the book, you think you're going to get a perfectly smart Batman grapple. You turn the page, it blows up. Yeah, yeah. Now I'd not even considered any of that. So you actually studying how this stuff's put together. That's actually Michael's right. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's undercutting your expectations. It's subverting mm. what you think it's going to be. So yeah, the beginning of that is really good. The the problem with it, it's hella dark, and the birthday boy is so grim, and Cobblepot Cobble plan is so grim. It makes Seven look like a birthday party. Well, I like that it, ha- it it has its cake and eats it. It wants to be dark, and it is, but at no point you go, this is a bit silly, this is a bit too much. See, I did. I, I thought that the seriousness of the story, arguably a little bit too serious, was offset by Batman being so completely inept. It's like if Seven had had Jim Curry in it instead of Brad Pitt. Yeah. Just his very presence would upset the balance of the film. And so I... I that's where I'm at with it. And ultimately, I think you're right. It's just not a Batman I'm interested in. Mm. Not so much that it's, he's a new Batman and he's not had any training. Like, I'm okay with all of that. It's that he doesn't seem to have a gift for what he's doing. Yeah. And I kind of think Batman needs to have an instinctive desire to do what he's doing to be able to pull off all the crap that he does. Yeah. And... I just, 
and also I think Batman needs to be cool. Otherwise, the inherent silliness of the Batman premise... Why would he dress up as a bat? Hmm. He could do much more good just working for charities than he could ever do dressing as a bat and going out fighting crime. Too much realism can affect what is ultimately a daft power fantasy, which Hmm. is what Batman is. And it can ruin the fantasy by adding too many elements of realism to it. And I felt that's what happened in this. The Gordon Bullock stuff was a good story arc. The inspirational stuff with Barbara Gordon was good. I liked... Like I said, there's a lot to like in it. Yeah. But Batman is just cack. I do think the final splash page of Bullock, though, is is one of the more perfect pages. What were his... What's his name? Just the bit of him walking into the... Where he walks into the... Bargain booze. Yeah. Bargain (laughs) booze. And uh, asks for whatever's the strongest. So it's like the the story arcs for Bullock and Gordon are the opposite path. Yeah. Bullock's found a path. Sorry, Gordon's found a path. Mm. Bullock's fallen off his. Yeah. So yeah. And then we need to build a better Batman. I think out of all of them, the Earth One line, this was definitely the more experimental one. Yeah. I don't disagree with that at all. But I guess it might not have won over everyone. No. And it's... I don't know, see, I'm tempted now to give Volume 2 and 3 of Superman and Batman another chance. And see what I think now that I've got you saying, well, look at it as subverting what you think Batman is. Yeah. Because that is actually an exceptionally good point. Mm. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. So, oh, that one's... It was riskier and more daring than the Superman one. Yeah, and I suppose the problem with being risky and more daring is you're occasionally going to fall on your face. Yeah. But So the question becomes, is it better for your art to be risky and daring to justify the existence of another Batman origin? It's better to be disliked than not remembered. Yeah, I suppose it's better to be, it's better to be a noble failure yeah. than to play it safe, I suppose is what we're saying about that one. Mm. But that's your favourite of the three, isn't it? Because of that, because it's yeah. taking risks. Yeah. Alright. Throw that one out the way. Wonder Woman, the final one we're covering tonight, mm-hmm. has always been a tough nut to crack for creators, and even for me as a reader. Essentially a symbol of female empowerment, she nevertheless spent an awful lot of time in bondage. And taken too far, her feminist message can be seen as man-hating. However, not taken far enough, and she comes across as a male wish-fulfillment version of a feminist. She's strong, but not that strong that she doesn't need a man around to protect her. Having only read two extended runs on the character by Byrne and Perez, I can't really comment with any knowledge as to which comics run is the best, but being of a certain age, Linda Carter is always at the forefront of my mind when I think about Wonder Woman. In fact, Linda Carter's normally at the forefront of my mind, just generally. Still, she is undeniably part of the main DC pantheon of heroes, largely because of the aforementioned Linda Carter TV show. And it's a shame that she's not had the pop culture penetration of Superman or Batman in the intervening years. Having her be one of the main books for the Earth One line made sense, and picking a top creative team made even more sense, so Grant Morrison being picked seemed like a good choice. It was not without controversy. Rumours abound that Morrison being given the gig by Dan DiDio so incensed writer Greg Rucker that he quit DC for a while, although he's now back writing Wonder Woman Rebirth. Rucker's take would have included art by J.H. Williams III, so it's hard not to see that as a missed opportunity. Well, this didn't start off as an Earth One title. No, well, he talked about this when you met him, didn't he? So this was as back as 2012-2013, that this was just 
The Trial of Diana Prince, a standalone graphic novel. Right. Because it came off... He did his research for Super Gods, and he was inspired by Golden Age stuff. Yeah. Which was what fueled his run on action comics. And so this was essentially... Um, just a modern take on the golden age bondagey sexual Wonder Woman. Right. Okay. All right. Because Morrison's an intriguing choice for this. You know, even if linear has never been a word that you used to describe it, he has, however, honed in on the weirdness of the original strip. Something that won't come as a surprise to anyone, even if, by his own admission, he couldn't really get a hook on the character. In an interview in the LA Times Hero Complex blog, Morrison said he was attracted to the idea that she was a difficult character to get, and only zeroed in what he wanted to do with her when he realised it's about the sexes and how we feel about one another, and what a society of women cut off from the rest of the world for 3,000 years might look like, and what kind of sexuality, what kind of philosophy, what kind of science would have developed from that, and how that would impact on our world if it actually suddenly became apparent that these women existed. Weirdness and exploring feminism seems like it's right up Morrison's alley. Should we see? <laughs> Shall we see what this one's like? Yannick Paquette provided the art, uh, and I have no problems with that. It's gorgeous. Hmm. But maybe Amanda Connor or Nicholas Scott would have been a better choice. I don't know. What do you think? What, and having... Actually having a woman working on it. I guess, yeah. It may have staved off some of the criticism that it received. That's true, but I do think that this could just be from a sexist mindset Mm. but a story about feminism by two men has made me think more about feminism than what a feminist has done so far right i'm I'm not the most you know feminist guy but this has made me think about it see i am i'm all for equality of the sexes well see that's that's where i've had a few arguments with my friends i'm not for feminism i'm for equality and if you have equality there is no need for feminism which which goes into the introduction that i said earlier you take it too far and you can write her as manhattan yeah so it it is a very difficult balance to achieve Mm. there's like you know true equality is probably somewhere in the middle yeah and I think that's the goal that we, as a people, need to be working towards, mm. rather than saying everything is sexist, yeah, or everything isn't. Mm. This is just anodyne. Because men are still going to find women attractive. Women are still going to find men attractive. Yeah, women are worse than men. Mm. If you've watched Burr Grylls the Island, sex is more on the mind of the women yeah. than the men. Okay, I'm going to be careful with what I say. <laughs> Again. One of the one of the problems with modern day feminism in the 21st century that it can be pushed to a certain level where it's just a pastiche of what it once was. Oh, it should be. It's not a means of equality. It's a means of elevation. Mm. In that, and not this isn't generalising. It's not, but it can be used as a tool of elevation rather than what it should be. But then you get the backlash where, as a man. As, as a white male, mm. it's then deemed that you do not have the right to complain about that because you're not a woman. Yeah. No, that's for a comment. That you don't have the right... You don't have to, the right to have an opinion on it because you're white privilege. Yeah. Now, some people will just turn around and say, well, you don't have to because you've always had it your way. Mm. But that, again, is offensive because in, in the context that we're talking about, that you're saying, I can't have an opinion on this, yeah. even though, fundamentally, I'm actually on your side. Yeah. 
but you're alienating somebody who's on your side by saying I'm a, a, a Caucasian straight man. Yeah, I don't have an opinion on this. I can't have an opinion on. And this. there's a certain level of subversion in that it's become. Oh, Got to be really careful about what you say, mm. but the white straight male, as a white straight male, so you know I'm just with my privileges. Mm. But it's become the safest thing to point fingers at. Yeah, even though again, like I'm saying, fundamentally. I am on your side. Mm. I actually, I, I agree with feminism as a concept. Yeah. I agree with equality of the race. I agree with equality of people. I agree that, you know, one of the nasty things about the EU referendum is people reporting t-shirts saying, we won so you can f*** off home. Right. I find that abhorrent. Mm. That that part of society still exists in a country, whereas five years ago I would have said, well, we've kind of beaten that. Yeah. And then to find that it's still bubbling under the surface, it's just like, no, we've got a fair bit to go. Yeah, so there is, so feminism still exists, deservedly so, in this world when it shouldn't, mm. but just like any other concept, just like any other movement, it's very easy to abuse. And I guess it's just a misrepresentation of the demographic. Yeah, I, like I said, I don't think everyone's like that. Yeah. So anyway, so should we actually look at um, Wonder Woman as well? Yeah. Seeing as we went off on a bit of a tangent there. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear me. Uh, anyway, Wonder Woman cover. Wonder Woman in bondage. Stood on Paradise Island. It's a very buxom Wonder Woman. Mm. And the chains don't look particularly tight. Mm. Which, you know, is, is, is addressed in the story. Um, she's got that one round her neck. Yeah. Like a proper slave. And I'll be honest, it's an intriguing way to lead off your new take on feminist icon. Yeah. Depicting her in chains. I do like that in the background that, that she's wearing Wonder Girl's costume. Yeah. I thought well, that was a nice touch. That it, it's all backed up inside, though. Yes, yeah, so. yeah I'm not, not going to argue with you. Uh, synopsis. Many years ago, Zeus and his gods took to pillaging the Amazons, but the leader, Hippolyta, leads a revolt leading to the formation of Paradise Island, a woman-only place of peace. This peace is interrupted when Steve Trevor crashes on the island and Diana, daughter of Hippolyta, breaks her word to compete in the game so she can take Trevor back home because Paradise Island's healing device, the Purple Ray, doesn't work on men. They know Jeff Johns that... Grant Morrison had no problem calling it the Purple Ray. Hippolyta isn't impressed and sends the Amazons after Diana, who are quite horrified by man's world. Diana returns to Paradise Island voluntarily to stand trial for her crimes, but Beth Candy, an Earth girl, gives testimony that Diana is pretty cool and man's world loves her. Steve Trevor's superiors want the location of Paradise Island and they want it ASAP. That's it. That's a Grant Morrison story. You're missing out a large chunk from the end, though. Not really. What am I missing out from the end? The the, the end of the trial. She gets found not guilty. Okay. That's never in any doubt, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, okay. But, but the point that I'm trying to make, that's a Grant Morrison story. Yeah. Are you sure Grant Morrison wrote this? Well, it's him coming off his super gods. It's him he's... coming off his high horse. Well, the... The biggest problem I have with these action comics, Ron, is yeah. that it starts off strong as a deconstruction of the Golden Age Superman mm. and reinterpreting that in a, 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 as a modern character. Yeah. 
but then at the end it trails off and becomes another Grant Morrison story. This, from beginning to end, is a deconstruction of the Golden Age Wonder Woman and mm. putting her in modern day. And it sticks with that through line. Yeah. It's a remarkably linear and, for a Grant Morrison story, obvious story. Mm. The feminist message is on point. It's a little unsubtle. Yeah. But that's largely because of the Golden Age elements that he's working with. Yeah. By his own admission. Because uh, you can't really have subtle feminism when it comes to... To Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, yeah. And certainly not the character created by William Mooston Marston. There, yeah. there was a lot of bondage. Mm. That's, that's in the text. There's nothing you can do about that. And he goes, Morrison does a good job of incorporating that into the, the story. Yeah, well, from, you know, throughout this being put on, whenever Grant Morrison said, oh, it's, you know, like, it's about Wonder Woman and sexuality, and what would these Amazonians be like mm. if they've had 3,000 years of sex? Mm. And then, you know, everyone in the audience chuckles and nobody really takes it, but... Yeah, there's, there's a bit of finale, finale yeah. to it. But if you it? think about it, Wonder Woman, yeah, she was created by the guy who created the lie detector, and that's the Golden Lasso, but she was also created by a man who shared a mistress with his wife. Yeah. It's a man who was really into his bondage and put it into every page of it. Mm. Wonder Woman was a very sexualized character straight from the get-go. And For people, the times that it was yeah, written. and so people forgot about that along the way. So this is a perfect reimagining of that golden age Wonder Woman mm. and you know it's 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 all very bondage and it's all very sexualized and you know there's been a lot of complaints about it saying it's degrading than that but see I didn't get is it I didn't get that at all see as, as, a, as a guy I might not be able to, to say no see that's going back to the conversation that we just had yeah that's undercutting the, yourself that you're saying your opinion isn't valid yeah which is completely untrue because your opinion for the most part is normally well thought out Mm. Or I think <laughs> But, see, my, my thing with this is the opening is Zeus raping Hippolyta. Mm. I knew I'd mess it up eventually. Hippolyta. That's the one. Uh, it's a lot darker than this story ends up being. Beautifully yeah. laid out by Yannick Paquette. And particularly the, like the panel borders. The panel bits as well that are done in that old yeah. Greek style. Um, and the, But, being brutally honest, this isn't as dark as Perez's take on the same material. If you remember when we did Wonder Woman 1, this isn't as dark as Perez did it. No. And we'll talk about this now, we may as well. I read in a... After we've done this, after we do notes and I do all the writing and what's it, I always go and have a look what... If there's anything interesting about these stories that we can incorporate in the show, any facts or whatever, it's where I get yeah. quotes from and, and stuff like that. And I stumbled across uh, a couple of reviews of and this. I was seeking out reviews, because I was very excited well, for yeah. this for about three years. Well, I stumbled across a review. And I stumbled across a review that basically didn't seem to get past the opening, which is the rape of Hippolyta by Zeus. And the review seemed to focus on the fact that this was a very male, sexualised version of rape. That Hippolyta is enjoying it. Mm. And I'll be brutally honest with you, I called you, didn't yeah. I? You were sat in the living room, were you playing on the PlayStation or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said to you, read this review, so you read it. Yeah. And I said, is this desperately trying to miss the point? For the sake of it, yeah. Because I did wonder, and I don't mean any disrespect to who well, wrote the article, and again, I wish I'd wrote it down. I read one review as well which blamed Paquette mm. by saying the sleazy, sexualised artwork... Which it isn't! ...kind of betrayed the scene. No, I don't know. I, I, my reading of this, and again, this is my reading of it, so you may disagree, lovely listener, but my reading of this was... 
Hippolyta is being degraded. She is being raped by Zeus. Because the point Hercules. of the sea... Hercules, sorry. The point of the sea... I thought it was Zeus. No, it's Hercules. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's Hercules. Yeah. I've been calling him Zeus all the way through. <laughs> Never mind, it's Hercules. You're absolutely right. The whole point of the scene is man putting down woman, oppressing woman. Yes. That is the whole point of the scene. So the whole point of the opening is that she is being degraded. He's standing on her. He's smacking her down. Yeah. He's completely saying, you are worthless and you will obey your lord and master. And it, it, it represents the... the power of yeah. man and... Th- of a woman. Yeah. There is no way on God's green earth you can tell me she is enjoying that in that art. Yeah. Not in the slightest bit. And then she prays to Aphrodite. Mm. Aphrodite says something to her. He tells, she tells her to grab the girdle that um, Hercules has got hold because of. Because it'll take the pain because away. Because it will take the pain away. And what she does at that point is she looks like she's having a prey yeah. because that's what she's doing and the art clearly makes you see from the point where she decides what she's going to do, mm. her face changes. Yeah. And she plays into what Hercules is doing to her. She's playing him. Yes. She's not enjoying being raped or degraded. She's playing his male ego. Mm. She grabs hold of the girdle, which um, Aphrodite just told her to get hold of. It gives her the strength Aphrodite told her it would give it her. And she strangles it. Yeah. She grabs hold of the chain that he was subduing her with and she kills it. Mm. That is not a rape power fantasy where the woman is secretly enjoying the rape. She's turning that around on him. She's playing to his ego. Yeah. And she kills him. She breaks the chains. Symbolism. Yeah, yeah. And then she releases all of the Amazons who kick the ass of Hercules' men. Mm. I read a. Com- I must have read a completely different opening to what that reviewer read because yeah. I didn't get her reading of this at all. Mm. And again, going into what we discussed earlier, is that because we're not women, and therefore we can't, we don't get it that quite the same way? No, because you can't. I, I mean, just because I'm a man and someone reading this is a woman, it's still the same thing on the, the page. Yeah, I'm not reading into Morrison's subtext, though. Like, when we did Seven Soldiers... Because there is no subtext. It's all laid yeah, out. it's all there for you. It's so, not very symbolic. It's tools to you. Yeah. It's not like the issue of Seven Soldiers with the Bulleteer, where we got a really interesting feminist subtext from that issue. Right. Talking about... Um, the, the glorification of the female body in comics. Oh, the superhero porno yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that was one of the best issues that he did because he wasn't banging you over the head with the message. Yeah. But the message was clearly there. Mm. This, there's no, like you said, there's no subtext to this. Yeah. That is clearly what she's supposed to be doing. Mm. So either, then you don't want to say she's misread it. And it's one of those things as Because well, that though. goes down the line of me saying she's too stupid to get it, which I don't think yeah. she is. Because her review was very well written. Mm. But I am leaning towards she missed the point it's one of those things though where uh, it's well yeah it it also showcases what the, the the story's trying to tell is that women are equal if not better in certain aspects than men mm. hercules is thinking with his dick yes he's thinking he's powerful he's strong he can do this because he can yeah and it's his male ego that makes him think she's too oh, right. whereas, she's, she's subduing to yeah, me whereas hippolyta 
might not be as strong, but she's smarter mm. and outthinks him. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what I got from it. Yeah, and then there's the scene where they return to the temple and it's been vandalised, it's been destroyed, it's been pissed on. Mm. And then it's, you know, that thing with man does because he can. Mm. Where it, it's, yeah. It's quite a female empowering scene. Yeah. Despite it... Having rape in it. Yeah. And because Grant Morrison has said in interviews, I went 20 years without having a rape in my story. Yeah, that was... Was that a dig against Matt Miller? It was Alan Moore, actually. Was it? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. But it's one of those things where I don't want to say it was necessary well it's part of the story yeah and I, I mean I think it all became part of the, I mean I don't know whether it's in the Greek myth because I don't know enough about the Greek myth to say but it's definitely in the Perez version of the story yeah, cause which I read, is at this point 30 years I old I did read one article a review even c- criticising this and I read it because I read the review before it came out mm. and I'm, I mean, I'm going hang on though this isn't a Morrison thing this isn't an Earth One thing this is George Perez mm. I mean, it's like I said, I don't know if George Perez took it from Greek mythology. Well, it doesn't matter, because even then it's not new. Yeah. The point. He, yeah, the point you're making is Grant Morrison didn't make this up. Yeah. Grant Morrison is taking the story as was and retelling it again mm. for the 21st century. But the story as was has that in it. Yeah. So it's not... So you're basically saying, should Morrison be blamed for that being part of the story? To which the yeah. answer is no, no. he shouldn't. And I think he did a pretty damn good job with turning it around mm. so that, like, exactly like you just said, it became a degradation scene that became an empowerment scene. Yeah. And I actually, I prefer play to it. Mm. I thought that was, it was, a, like I said, I don't think that's as dark or as graphic as the George Perez one from 30 years ago. But it's one of those things, especially in today's political climate, and that's a very hard thing to do and to pull off. Yeah. And, yeah, but... See, I don't know. I, I don't know whether I read it and was just of the opinion she was writing it to get hits, mm. or did she genuinely feel that way? And I, I wish I'd, I kind of wish I'd wrote down where it was, yeah, so that other people could read it and, and then to let me know what they think. But because I'm not, I'm not saying her opinion isn't valid. I'm not saying she didn't write an extremely compelling article. But there is a. Certain, I didn't agree with it. Yeah, yeah. But there is a certain level of it, and I don't want to say. Like there is, you're allowed to have. You're al- people are allowed to have their own opinions on things, mm. but their I, own readings of yeah, that. But I do believe that you cannot read that scene so drastically different from what is literally told to you. Yeah, it's it's not a typical Grant Morrison thing with oodles of subtext and meaning yeah. that you can examine and do loads of web pages of the annotated Final Crisis. Mm. For me, that's what was on the page. Yeah. That was all the in the story as as seen. I didn't have to dig for that. Mm. That was clearly the but it's, and clearly his intent. And it's laid out later on as well mm. in that Wonder Woman is a creation of pure hatred and resentment from that scene. Yeah. But a Hippolyta has turned it around. Yeah. Because in this version of the story, I suppose we should mention, in this version of the story we find out that Wonder Woman wasn't created from clay. She is actually the child of Hercules and Hippolyta. Yeah. And Hippolyta only told her she was carved from clay because she didn't want her knowing she was a product of that. Yeah. So, but that in this telling of the story is the explanation for why she's got superpowers mm. because she's a child of Hercules yeah 
and that's the reason given for why she's forget, forbidden from entering the games because she is naturally stronger than everybody else. But also, she plays the role as Hercules at the games every year. Yeah. Because she's the daughter of Hercules. Yeah. If you want to read into it like that. Yeah. And the colours are great by Nathan Furber because you get that dark, the the dark night, rainy, stormy colours on the world of man mm. to turn it over and it's bright colours on on Paradise on Island. Paradise Island. Oh well, the arts, the arts, brilliant without the page designs, the layouts, all damned exemplary. My only issue with the art is the same one that I had with the Shane Davis thing. Him using actors as characters is really irritating. It's clearly Rebel Wilson as Etta Candy. Sorry, Beth Candy. Why did they change the name? I don't know. What's wrong with Etta Candy? <laughs> That's a funny name. Mm. It's a funny pun. Uh, Megan Fox is clearly Wonder Woman. Uh, Facially. Yeah. Not, not body type. And Chris Rock is clearly Steve Trevor. What, the comedian? Yeah. But let's find a Steve Trevor panel. Let me show you exactly where I'm... To. Every time I turn a page, he's, he's not here. There is a panel in this. Chris Rock... Okay. Well, Yannick Paquette draws himself into it as the Doctor. He does. So, so but Megan Fox, mm. Rebel Wilson. Mm. It's well, clearly... yeah, that was. I, I got that one from the get-go. Well, yeah, but Beth, Grant Morrison said he wanted it to be Beth Ditto, right? Which is probably why she's named whatever she. What's she named? Beth. Beth. Because yeah. she was. He wanted her to be Beth Ditto, right, right. but Yannick drew Rebel Wilson. What was funny was I read her with, you know, one of those stereotypical Texan accents, and mm. then it stated on later on that she has a stereotypical Texan <laughs> accent, so... Um, it doesn't shy away as well from the fact that Paradise Island's a very kinky place. Yeah. Bondage uh, and sex parties are very much the order of the day. But it's just normal, because it's what Morrison <coughs> wanted to do. Yeah, well, see, that's that. I've got that note. To the credit, this isn't salacious. Mm. I didn't quite get them being strung upside down like or pigs. Or dressed up as deer. And, and being undressed. Yeah. But, well, okay. My problem with this... What are you well, doing in the bedroom is none of my business. Well, one of my problems with this, anyway, and I don't want this to sound too teenage, hmm. is that it wasn't quite out there with the sexuality. There wasn't much of it as... Well, how much is that that he's trying to remain within the comics code? Well, even then he set it out to be, this is what it's about. It's about Amazonian sex and their sexuality and da-da-da-da-da. And so he set it up, and then by the time I got to read this, there wasn't as much It's not eyes wide shut, is it? Yeah. So Which is also about kinky sexual practices. Mm. So it's, well, you know, it's kind of implied that they've all got girlfriends. Wonder Woman has a girlfriend. They have quite a few, don't they? Well, it seems to be that way. So, that's as much subtext as you really need about it. Yeah. I didn't need this to be a certificate 18 version of Wonder Woman. Well, no, I knew it was always going to be a, a, you know, a wide-eyed, hmm. golden age take on it. But, I, you know, I, I do think you can talk about and show sexual things without it affecting the tone of the story. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. Especially when, for the most part, it is pretty... I want to say child-friendly, but for the most part, it is widely accessible. Mm, over, over 12, 13. Yeah. Not child, mm. but over once you're at teenagehood, I think it's perfectly acceptable. I did like that Wonder Woman feels his crotch. Mm. <laughs> Are you a man? Squeak! <laughs> yeah, get off! That was quite fun. Mm. I, I thought that was amazing. I, I love her face as well in that panel after, you know, she's just felt him up a bit. <laughs> yes, and the purple ray, which he's not bothered about calling the purple I, I ray. I love most of the, the, the faces in this are all great. 
like the, it, it's so subtle it shows their emotions mm. well without it saying anything no yeah the artwork the artwork is really good I really do like the artwork I did think that offering Steve Trevor the collar and you must be willing to submit to a loving authority Neil for we to be bound mm. that would have played much differently if that was a Caucasian Steve Trevor yeah so there was there were, ooh. I, I didn't know whether that was going a bit far I mean to to Etta Beth uh, Beth's credit she does actually say you really have no well, idea do you see I quite like that because it works on with Morrison mm. it, it works on different levels yeah it's got you know sexuality on on to the Amazons is it's fine it's normal and all that yeah and it's one of the, the she's never had slavery yeah but one of the subjects in this is that there is dominance in submission mm. and not only that but there's also it's about the persecution of women mm. and Steve Trevor even says later on that as a black man his ancestors were persecuted mm. and you know they still are to this day and so it's about these women Hippolyta they all believe that they are persecuted by men Mm. whereas what Steve Trevor is there to say is that you know men aren't just the same they are persecuted just as equally so I quite like that it worked on those levels yeah so there is some subtext to it, and it isn't quite as linear as yeah. as people are making it out to be. What I liked about it is there's some clearly some seventies TV show in it with all the stars. <laughs> Every time she does something vaguely Wonder Woman, it yeah, the, the stars flying everywhere like mm. in the TV show. So there's there's an element of camp to it. Yeah. So there's an element of fun to it as well that kind of did it tonally fit with that beginning. Hmm. Is, is my question. I'd See, I think he did actually quite a good job of pulling it off. It's quite imbalanced, but it's kind of... It's not jarring, because it kind of works. Yeah, well, it's... Or it is jarring, but in the sense that you it's go It's deliberately that, jarring. Yeah. You go from that opening that's really quite dark and gruesome to the minute you get to 3,000 later, Paradise Island's this wonderful My Little Pony Land. Yeah, and it's also what separates man's world from woman's world. Mm. So, I mean, you pointed out to me there's that architectural thing. Yeah. Where all of the buildings in our world are phallically yeah. resembling the male member. Mm. But on Amazonia or Paradise Island or whatever they want to call it, all the buildings resemble female genitalia. Mm, which is why the invisible ship is It's is the shape that it is, yeah. So that, I, I'll be honest, I didn't twig that at all in the architecture of Paradise City until you pointed it out to me. Right. And you said, did you not notice what all the, the, the buildings were like? Mm. And it was only I went, oh, right, yeah, because they're, they live in a women's world. Yeah. And we build big, massive skyscrapers. Ah, it's, it's quite interesting how this may seem basic, mm. but it's well thought out, yeah. just, you know, down to everything. Yeah, but it's, it's showing that Morrison can do all of that and still write a, a simple, coherent story when he wants to. Yeah. So is he deliberately obfuscating when he does those deliberate mind-bending things, or has he well, just done too many mushrooms? I've always argued that Grant Morrison, his stories, even The Invisibles, hmm. boils down to a really basic plot. But every, him and the readers get too caught up in the grand scheme of things and yeah. what it looks like and what's on the surface. And what you expect a Grand yeah, Morrison story to be that like. they often overlook what is at the heart of the story. It would be interesting to give this to somebody and take the names off it 
mm. and say, read that, who wrote that, yeah. and see what they say about it. Mm. Somebody knows the comics, but, yeah. you know. And it's quite interesting, that, because it's really subtle, and it kind of confused me at first until it twigged on. Mm. But everything that takes place on the Amazon island, right, mm. is just written like that, and Steve Trevor, his text is written in the inverted brackets. Yeah. Okay, on the world of man... Anything that Wonder Woman speaks in Amazonian mm. is in the inverted brackets. Right. So the, the yeah, she has to learn English, yeah. doesn't she? So the default language, or what's not in brackets, is wherever they are in the world of man or in the world of woman. Mm. So the language changes throughout the story based on where each scene is being is taking place. Mm. Oh, very good. I do like that they work in the woo woo. Catchphrase from the Golden Age, mm. which was Etta Candy's thing. And for the most part, this is a pretty straightforward retelling of the origins. Mm. Lots of nods to George Perez's revamp, the 70s TV show, looms yeah. large over all of it, and Greek mythology. Sorry, it's really entertaining, well done, and beautifully drawn. It it kind of occupies the middle ground between Superman and Batman. Yeah. And then the, you can still ask the question, why does this exist? Mm. With the New yeah, 52 well, origin. They shouldn't have been an Earth 1. Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of made it an Earth 1, which soured Dan Didier's relationship with Greg Rucker. I think... But it was, it was it's it very was, good. I think the reason this isn't my favourite out of all of them mm. is because Batman's a solid, entertaining story, or was for me. Well, Batman's deliberately being different, yeah. which seems to appeal well, to you more. Batman's deliberately trying to tell a Batman story, whereas this is challenging gender norms and societal norms mm. it's not just trying to tell a story it's trying to make you think but at the same time it's taking the golden age and giving it a fresh coke of paint yeah so I would say it's a really good mm. book and I would recommend it to anyone really because it, it, it is one of those things that challenges do you know what I liked about it mm. that it's not freaking grim yeah <laughs> yeah the Superman one is very much let's put Superman in the real world mm. and the Batman one is Darker than you know some some of David Fincher's movies. Yeah, uh, this is this isn't. No. Although once you get past that opening, which has to be dark. Yeah, by very definition of what it is, it's it's actually quite fun and frothy. Mm. I mean, Etta Candy's a bit irritating. Yeah, but I kind of liked her in that. She's irritating, but she's she's harmless. Yeah, she's one of those people you think would be irritating and obnoxious, and then when you get to know them, you'd actually find yourself quite liking going for a beer with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but for the most part, I, I, I greatly enjoyed that. It would have been my favourite if it wasn't an Earth One. Right. But how could that have fitted into any kind of continuity? Well, it wasn't. It was just a standalone graphic right, novel. Right, so by, by being an Earth One, then it still is and he gets to tell more of them. Yeah. Sadly, DC's commitment to Earth One seems to waver with the release of these being quite slow. We've been promised further volumes for Superman, Wonder Woman and Batman, as well as Aquaman by Francis Manipal and Flash by Grant Morrison. But with the new 52 and now Rebirth, I do wonder if this suffers from the same problems as Ultimate Marvel. When you reboot your universe to make them more iconic, these uber-gritty updated versions just suddenly don't seem necessary. Mm. So, I mean, because they've been coming out since, what, 2009? Yeah, well, the... And they've done, what, five volumes? Wonder Woman... As a signature, seven volumes that is dated 2014. Right. So, so I don't know how long it's going to be before you get volume two of Wonder Woman. Well, I think the script was done in 2013. Right. Just for a wait, then. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, you actually made me think more about Batman Earth One. 
Okay. So that's, that's always appreciated. Next time, an all new episode of Who Keeps Comics. If we get all our ducks in a row, it'll be Throne of Atlantis. Okay. I've only just started making notes for it, so God knows when we'll get there to record. We're not weekly anymore. No, we're not. And with three episodes done that yeah. haven't been released as we record this. So. Okay, okay, thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed that. If you've got any comments on, on particularly the Wonder Woman stuff, mm. we'd love to hear them. Yeah, well, this is what I was saying. Yeah. The Wonder Woman one is more... Yeah, that's weird, that, considering it was easily the most linear and fun. It's the most open to discussion. Yeah, because, well, when you talk about anything like that, it's open for discussion. And yeah. I'm, I want open for discussion. I'm not... If somebody just writes and says, you know, you're sexist and don't know what you're talking about, good. <laughs> anyway, let's not start down that path. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Good night. A Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find work for Idle Hands to do production and a Two True Freaks presentation. If you wish to buy stuff from Amazon, why not do it through the twotruefreaks.com link, which leaves a couple of pennies in our tip jar. The music used in Hey Kids Comics is used to underscore the synopsis so they're not quite as boring as you just listening to me talk. Michael and Andrew can be reached through Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Why not join us so we can talk about funny books together? Correspondence to the show generally can be sent to heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. Thank you.